Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. And the stumps to behind the mic. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. SENZ, a bit of a hybrid morning slash afternoon show. Smithy and Staffy away, so Sam Hewitt taking you through until 2 o'clock. Um, what a big weekend of sport we have just had. Super Rugby quarterfinals, the Crusaders, the Chiefs, the Blues and the Brumbies will meet in the semi-finals next weekend. The Hurricanes, the only, oh, and the Highlanders are the two New Zealand teams not to make it through. The Brumbies, the sole Australian team. We'll see how that plays out next weekend. Um, if you're a Warriors fan, 
It's a bad day to wake up to after uh, Saturday night's performance. Otakolu gets the play here, goes Reese Walter the chip on first tackle, just looking for something with the clock winding up, but Garrett comes down with it, gets a couple of extra metres, gets away from two, and finally gets wrapped up by the Warriors. The full-time whistle sounds. It is the end of the game here at Four Pines Park, Sydney. The Sea Eagles, 44 points to 12 over the Warriors, seven tries to two, and the Warriors will be licking their wounds. Tell you what, I'm looking at the wounds myself. Um, We're going to talk a lot of Warriors on the show today. You can text her anytime the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three, or call 0800 150811. We'd love to get your thoughts on uh, where to from here and um, whether or not we need to make some big changes at the club. Um, Rafa Nadal. Major number 14, oh sorry, French Open number 14, major number 22 at 36 years of age. The greatest becomes even greater. It is a 14th Roland Garros title for the greatest player this great tournament has ever seen and ever will see. 36 years of age, honestly, Rafa Nadal is just absolutely caning it and breezed through that French Open. I know he's had a, a problem with his foot and he's in pain, but in terms of the results, he has breezed through the French Open. Could he do the calendar Grand Slam? Uh, we're going to talk some tennis a bit later on with Simon Cambers, who is a very well-respected tennis journalist and commentator for Radio Roland Garros. Get his thoughts on the men's and the women's side uh, of the French Open. The All-Whites, uh, 1-0 loss to Peru this morning. That's a warm-up for next Wednesday's crucial match against Costa Rica, the World Cup qualifier. All eyes on that. It was a, uh, a slight goalkeeper blunder from Oli Sale, who has been phenomenal this year for the Phoenix. Um, unfortunately, going down to Peru, 1-0. Who, uh, 1-0, who you remember were the ones uh, who kept us from making uh, the 2018 uh, World Cup. But Costa Rica next Wednesday is the big one. The Black Caps and England, that ended this morning. Um, a seesaw match and a miserable first innings was turned around in the second um, by New Zealand for Tom Blundell and Daryl Mitchell, who got 108. And for England in their second innings, it was Joe Root with 115 not out uh, steering the ship. He doesn't have the captaincy. Maybe a bit less pressure, and that's uh, what uh, has allowed him to succeed. They win by five wickets at Lords on day four and take a 1-0 series lead. Baz gets his first win as coach one from one, and Ben Stokes get, uh, gets his first win as captain one from one. Um, would love your thoughts on that as well, Double eight, double three, or 0800 Nikesh Rugani, who's part of our commentary team, is going to join us on the show around about 12.30 uh, to wrap that test and talk about uh, test number two, which starts at Trent Bridge on Friday. It is a best of three, or it is a three-test series, which is great because we're used to just playing one or two, aren't we? Um, Wales and Ukraine in World Cup qualifiers this morning. Ukraine, a bit of a uh, Cinderella story. I think they've won something like 12 straight games to get to where they are, um, but then they came up against Wales for a spot in the World Cup. It was Wales uh, who got the win, um, and they will make their way through to Qatar Um the uh, score, which has just just disappeared for me, uh, 1-0 over Ukraine this morning. Um, here is the Wales coach after the game. Said in the build-up, Gary Speed started this 12, 13 years ago, and I want to dedicate that to, to Gary as well. Um, you know, he started the culture 12 years ago, and there was a, there was a, a, a difference, there was a change, and, uh, and the environment completely changed. So I've inherited that 
I've not, and Chris Coleman took it on and took it to another level, and and uh, and and I've inherited that group, and we, you know, we're just confident going into games now. We're not, we don't hope to qual, we we don't hope to qualify for the Euros or the World Cup now. We we believe we can do it. So there's been a massive change in the mentality as well. It's sending uh, Wales to their first Men's World Cup since 1958. You thought it had been a long time for uh, the All Whites from 82 to 2010. Uh, 1958 for Wales. That is their head coach uh, talking following their win over uh, Ukraine this morning. So a very busy weekend of sports. Um, we'd love to get your thoughts on it. Double eight, double three. the Temper Bed Post text machine. Call anytime. 0800-150-811. We're going to have Will Evans, host of the Warriors Life podcast, up at around about 10.15. Um, he's got some great stats and figures, but I really want to hear from Will. He's a he's a good fan and a good analyst of the game. Um, we just want to sink our teeth into what went wrong on Saturday, what has been going wrong, and is there any chance this is going to turn around for the end of the season? Because I'll tell you what, if you look through the last uh, 12 games the Warriors have, um, I can only see about two or three more wins if they were to win uh, any more. Um, they're playing teams like the Panthers twice. Uh, they're playing the Sharks next week, the Storm, um, the Eels, all teams that are in the top eight. It's only the Bulldogs, the Tigers, uh, and I think the Knights that are outside the top eight that they're playing. So it could be a, a very dismal end to 2022 for the Warriors Um I've got a few opinions on them, but I'll um, I'll share those with you uh, after we've spoken to Will at 10.15. We're going to check to Vossi after 11, as we always do. Uh, we're going to talk NRL from the weekend, so not just the Warriors, but also those other two games, the uh, Panthers, the Roosters, sorry, Raiders, and the Cowboys all getting wins, um, the only f- uh, four games that were played across the weekend with the State of Origin. On Wednesday... Um, Nikki Tragani, as I mentioned, at 12.30, we're going to talk with uh, Simon Campbell, a tennis commentator somewhere in between, and Matty White's going to join us out of Australia at 1.15 to talk. Uh, Trans-Tasman rugby hit the Brumbies, the only Australian side in the Super Rugby semi-finals. Um, so we're going to chat with Matty White uh, about that. If you've got any questions for Will, uh, send them in on double eight double three. Anything you want to ask about the Warriors or add to the conversation, um, we'll put those to Will when we get him on. And uh, we'll also take your calls. 0800 150 You're listening to SENZ. We're going to chat with Will Evans from the Warriors Life podcast right after this. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, SENZ, uh, Sam Hewitt filling in for Smithy in the mornings and then Staffy uh, through until 2 o'clock before uh, the run home take over. We're going to talk Warriors for the next little while. As I said, you can give us a text on 8833 if you want a question or join the conversation um, and you can give us a call 0800 150 11. Uh, but a good friend of the show, Will Evans, he's the host of the Warriors Life podcast. He's a good analyst of the game. He's a big Warriors fan and he joins the show now. Uh, morning, Will. Uh, how have you... Uh, Brushed up on Monday morning, mate, following Saturday night. Oh, look, much the same as the last few weeks, Sam. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way, mate. Um, yeah, another diabolical loss. Uh, probably close to the worst yet, I think, just uh, from what we saw against Manly, the lack of intent, uh, the goal line defence. Um, yeah, lack of imagination and intent on attack. They just don't seem like a, a group of guys pulling in the same direction. And, um, yeah, you're just waiting for... For something to change, um, 
and it just keeps getting worse. Mate, you know, it's been a it's been a difficult couple of weeks for the club given, you know, that we had the Matt Lodge situation, a bit of turmoil with the owner and then there were comments from Mark saying that, you know, Nathan Brown wasn't going to move on until, you know, at least next year. Um, there's just so much going on at the club. Do you think that's what's affecting them on the weekend or is there other things at play? Are there players individually that aren't stepping up? Yeah, it's got to have some sort of effect, but you often see teams going through a bit of turmoil, and, and especially what we saw with the Mark Robertson, Matt Lodge situation a couple of weeks ago. Teams come out and, and really show something. It sort of galvanises them, pulls them together. Um, if anything, they've been been getting worse, and you know, losing to some pretty ordinary teams and then getting flogged by anyone that's half decent. Um, yeah. It, there's really worrying signs. Obviously, don't know exactly what's going on in the players' heads, and if there's any sort of um, sort of factional uh, breakdown there. But yeah, the, the signs are pretty um, pre- pretty worrying. You're a um, you're a great analyst of the game. Well, I know you watch it very very closely. Um, I imagine the problems that we saw against Manly on Saturday, the problems we have been seeing for the last few weeks. Where is it really going wrong on the park for us? Uh, it's, it's everywhere, mate. Um, yeah, obviously, Sean Johnson is struggling, and and it all sort of kicked off from from a couple of poor kicks from from him. And, and I'm a massive fan of Sean Johnson, but he's just not travelling very well at the moment. Uh, a couple of poor kicks, and Manly got on the front foot, and and were on the front foot until half time, pretty much. Um, but yeah, that that lack. It's just the attitude areas beyond that. Um, goal line defence is just all about attitude, and and. Manly were basically allowed to just fall over the line a few times there. Um, and there's no cohesion in attack um, going sideways, no one thing into the line. And, yeah, it on, that Nathan Brown talks about they, they train well during the week. It honestly looks like a bunch of guys that haven't had a training run together. What's, what's sort of different about what's going on at the moment? I've been a Warriors fan for a number of years. A lot of people out there... Um, Will are saying that you know th- these are the final straws. You know a lot of them can't can't do it anymore. But the Warriors have struggled for a number of years. You know since the inception back in '95. There's been some pretty lean moments in their history. But what feels different about this year and some of the results they've been dishing up recently? Um, I think the the fact that the you don't feel like they can beat anyone at the moment that the Warriors have always been you know that unpredictable team that has that attacking flair um, and are capable of of just you know flipping the script out of nowhere and beating someone you know giving someone a hiding or, or beating someone that they shouldn't um, this this team is close to you know down with the, the Bulldogs and those sort of teams as um, the least threatening attacking teams in the competition um, and on top of having the worst attack uh, worst defense on the competition in the competition, it's a pretty uh, bad combination. Um, it just doesn't feel like, it, you know, even the, the Warriors teams of yesteryear that was so frustrating and would go on big losing streaks and that sort of thing. But, you know, the, the team just doesn't feel like like a team that can put any points on or, yeah, the identity of the club has disappeared. And, uh, yeah, it's just, they're just a really frustrating watch at the moment. How much um, do you think coming home is going to make 
you know, a, a difference to this side because I know that's been talked about quite a bit and I've seen in a few of the forums and on Twitter, you know, people saying, oh, we just got to get home. We just got to get back to Mount Smart and, you know, the boys can sort of regroup and, and get back to their spiritual home. But it's quite interesting, Will. I did some um, sort of stat finding and found that the last 50 games um, at Mount Smart before the Warriors went over for COVID, the last 50 games, they've only, they're only their win percentage is only 48%. So the idea that, you know, they're coming home to a, a bit of a fortress is somewhat of a myth. Can you see coming back to Walkland and Mount Smart solving any sort of issues? Oh, look, if, if they weren't in such a hole, I definitely could. Um, you know, chances are we're going to be heading back on a seven-match losing streak with the Sharks and the Panthers before the um, the, the uh, representative buy. Um, but, yeah, as you say, it hasn't been the fortress that it's built up to be, but I think this one, given we haven't played at Mount Smart for three years, is a bit of an outlier, and, and it should spark something, but Given the hole that they're in, it, it, you know, it's, I don't know if it's going to be enough of a change. Obviously, the Tigers aren't exactly flying. Um, but, yeah, it's a pretty um, disappointing situation to be coming into such what should be such a, you know, momentous occasion for the club. It's, mm. um, it's feeling like it's going to be a bit flat at the moment. You know, at the moment, we've lost nine of their first of the first 13 games in the season for the first time since 2004. Like, there's so wow. many... Stats that are historically bad about this team that, um, yeah, it's mind-boggling. I'm going to get a few of those stats from you very, very shortly. Um, look, Nathan Brown, I mean, so much discussion around Nathan Brown over the last few weeks, and I think a few people are in the camp of the Warriors love to just get rid of a coach, you know, if things are going bad, we're sort of notorious for, for just ousting them straight away. There just seems to be something a bit different about Nathan Brown, though, and the fact, like, is he the right guy for the job, despite the fact that he's struggling? Is he the right man to to turn it around, to build the right um, playing group and to, you know, challenge for top eight in a premiership? Uh, I don't think so. I was, I was um, not a fan of the hire in the first place uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and I think we've seen enough of a sample size uh, to... You know, to see that he's not the right guy. I mean, tremendous guy, one of the most liked guys in rugby league, but mm. you know, that doesn't necessarily translate to being the coach that we need. Um, ex- yeah, very similar uh, sort of trend to what we saw of, um, at Newcastle, but just condensed into a, a shorter time frame. Um, his stint with the Warriors, but yeah, the defensive side of things is really concerning. 27.3 points per game conceded. It's the worst in the comp by a decent margin. Wow. This year. Last year it was 26 points per game, which was the worst since uh, that 2004 season when um, when Daniel Anderson pulled up stumps and threw Kempi a hand grenade mid-year and a bunch <laughs> of players. That was the worst season in our history at 28.9 points per game. Uh, we're heading very much towards that, the worst defensive season in, in the history of, of the club, which, you know, that, that's, that's what it boils down to. You can't be uh, getting anywhere near the top eight when you're conceding 27-plus points per game. So what what do you do with Nathan Brown? Do you try and find, do you get rid of them now, put like Stacey and Justin into that sort of caretaker role and find someone next year? Do you let Nathan see out the rest of 2022? I guess what's the answer around Nathan Brown as a coach? Um, I'm not against that, letting him see out the season. Honestly, I can't see any situation where he, he uh, stays on the season out of his contract. That's even if he wants to. There's, you know, reading between the lines of, of him talking about how difficult it's been being away from his family. I, I don't see him going to Auckland, um, particularly on the back of a, a disappointing 
very, very disappointing season this year. Um, just to go over there to see our one year of a contract, relocating to Auckland, um, and that's if the club would even want him to anyway. Uh, yeah, I, but I don't really see too much of a too much benefit in, in getting rid of him now. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he stood down before the end of the year yep. and, and let it take a. Uh, jump in, but I think you know probably what's best for the Warriors if they're uh, scouting who should be our next head coach and let them get to Auckland um, ahead of time and start setting things up uh, rather than you know taking over from Nathan Brown, um, you know eight rounds out or whatever from the end of a, a wasted season. Yeah, um, mate, I'm a sucker for a stat. Um, I do love my stats, and you've uh, dug up a couple for us uh, this morning. What can you hit me with and uh, depress me even further? You've come to the right place, mate. Um, so five, five losses at the moment, um, and obviously the potential for quite a few more in a row. Uh, it's the worst losing streak before the end of June since 2007, uh, when they lost six straight. Uh, two two more losses, and that's the games against the Sharks and the Panthers coming up. We'll see see them equal the worst pre-July streak of seven, which happened in 97 and 2000. Um, Prior to 2000, just one Warriors coach had multiple five-game losing streaks on their CV. That was um, the hapless Mark Graham, obviously a very diff- difficult tenure to be a coach. He had uh, mm. two five-plus game losing streaks. Uh, Nathan Brown's already got three in a season and a half, um, seven-game losing streak last year, five-game streak that bridged the end of last year and the start of this year, and now this current five-game losing streak. And... Yeah, but as I said before, um, first time in 18 years we've lost nine of our first 13. That's after we you know, won three of our first five and four of our first eight, which was actually better than most um, average Warriors seasons. So yeah, it paints a pretty dire picture. Mate, yeah, that is incredible. Um, what about the, the playing group, the, the team that gets named you know, every Tuesday? Is there any, I guess, changes there that you'd like to see, um, given that you know we, we've talked about this season basically being a failed season, is there anything you'd like to see change there? You know, for the next twelve rounds. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of calls for young guys to to be brought in. Obviously, for Sean to be dropped and that sort of thing. I don't know whether throwing um, rookies into this um, and into the prime pan here is, is necessarily the right thing. Um, obviously, you know, guys come back from injury. I'd like to see Jesse Arthur's back in the in the back line there. Obviously. Uh, been a pretty strong critic of of our three quarter line in general. Yeah. Um, throughout. Yeah. Um, maybe a change up in the halves. Uh, in some respects, there's been plenty of people uh, calling for Reese Walsh to get a a go on the halves. I'm not totally against that at the moment. Um, yeah, Dejan Arcee probably could uh, could do with a, with a few more games to see what he's he's got. Um, obviously, Chanel's not not going to be with us beyond this year. Um, yeah, is there much point in in running Chanel out if, if we're no chance of the finals, which I would uh, definitely say that we're not. Um, yeah, and they obviously need Adam Fanua Blake back. Um, the, the middle has been, the, our middle forwards have been getting steamrolled and, and, you know, poor old Jazz Tavanga who's trying his guts out as in a prop forward. Mm. Um, I can't, can't see why they wouldn't start with Bunty Afar at the moment. That would be one of the first changes I'd, I'd make while Adam's out. He's been our best prop for for the last few weeks. Um, 
But yeah, it's just shuffling uh, deck chairs on the Titanic at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess the tough thing too is, you know, whilst it's it's all well and good to say, hey, bring in the young guys, the guys that are leaving like Chanel and even Jesse Arthurs, you know, hasn't signed on for next year, you know, just leave them out and bring in these young guys. But if we did that and we started losing by 70 points every week, that's probably not benefiting anyone as well, uh, including the youngsters. They sort of need to be around some of these experienced guys. What about, um, what about Cameron George? Because... I sort of look at it. I've always been a, a fan of Cameron George and, and the way that he operates and how open he generally is um, with the media. But I guess when you look at his tenure going back to 2017, I mean, we made the eight the, the sort of first year he was in charge. And since then, it's sort of been going backwards. Um, two, I guess, failed coaches um, under his tenure. Is Cameron George the right CEO for the Warriors? Uh, look, Cameron's been pretty generous with his time towards me. I don't want to be. Uh, overly critical and it's, it's hard to know when you don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes but yeah the la- and again the challenges that they've had to deal with as far as relocating to Australia and, and remaining there for coming up on three years um, you know you, you've got to tip your hat to them for that but uh, some of the, the big decisions the sort of club changing decisions obviously uh, um, not, I've been pretty critical of, of what I consider his role in the Sean Johnson fiasco at the end of 2018 to be um, you know the the Steve Kearney sacking, uh, which you'd have to put down to to Cameron and and Mark Robinson, was pretty diabolical. Um, and the way that Nathan Brown's hire was was handled, um, you know, just days after uh, Todd Payton rejected us in fairly classical circumstances to, to hit the panic button and um, and hire Nathan Brown is exactly why we're in the situation we're in now. And um, yeah, I think the last few weeks uh, don't reflect very well at all on the Warriors administration mm. Mate, it's, it is tough times um, but we appreciate you coming on and chatting Will, um, if people want to go and check out the podcast it is the Warriors Live podcast uh, you can catch Will's tweets uh, and all of his podcasts, I find them often on Twitter um, Will, thanks each for coming on mate and giving us your thoughts uh, My pleasure, anytime, thanks Sam there you go, Will Evans from the Warriors Life podcast. Um, we'd love to get your thoughts. Double eight, double three, the temper bid post text machine, or actually jump on the phone. Let's have a chat. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. I've almost run out of answers um, or solutions, I guess, um, to the Warriors because you know, everything I think is going to work, I just look at and go, actually, it, it's it's just a failed season, and the club just has uh, poison somewhere in it. Um, I don't want to call it a curse, but there's something inside the club that fundamentally is not going right um, and you know we can look at players we can look at coaches we can look at CEOs we can look at owners um, it's top to the bottom it, it just something is not sitting right with me um, I've got a few more thoughts I want to give out but I'd love to hear from you 0800 150 811 if you want to have your say um, we might just grab some uh, headlines with uh, Joey Bell Joey Bezos Joey what do you got? Oh, hi, Sam. Sorry, I thought we were doing this after the break. Well, Sam... Nah, let's do it now. Okay. Let's do it now. Love of Elton John. Is this your headline music? Yeah, this is my headline music. Brilliant. It's for, uh, it's for Brian. He's a big Elton John fan. Love it. Uh, well, starting off, all of the merits, because uh, we've got the Queen's birthday um, honours given away today. Yes. Lots of people given uh, the order of merit. We've got uh, Benji Marshall, Ross Taylor, Emma Twig. Love it. All well deserving, I think. Especially yeah, Benji Marshall is something I wasn't really like expecting. I think our rugby league players often get overlooked for this. I think, Absolutely, yeah, you totally. would agree, Sammy. Yep, um, especially ones that are you know that are primarily based in Australia, like Benji is. 
Yeah, but he's given a lot to the Kiwis, obviously. But you know, he's a, he's sort of lives in Australia, based in Australia, played for Australian rugby league teams. But yeah, yeah, I actually kind of think of him as an Australian, actually. Um, shame on you. Yeah, shame on me. <laughs> hey, and uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Junior Far. Yeah. He got knocked out. He's, he did. Uh, he's claiming claiming uh, foul play. He said there was a couple of unintentional fouls. He oh, I did see got that. A hit at the back of his head yep. by Lewis Brown. So um, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, that was a very interesting uh, boxing card yesterday and Junior Far being surprised by Lucas Brown. Actually, Steph told me on uh, Friday he's, when he said, Junior Far facing Lucas Brown. I mean, Lucas Brown's just a washed-up has-been. I mean, it's a nothing fight. Um sort of uh, intimating that it was going to be an easy win for Junior Far, but uh, no, not the case. Not the case. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anything else for us, Joe? Oh, just to finish off, Stephen Olker, you know, again, doing great, finishing thirds uh, at, at the latest He's uh, principal charity classic. He's just a machine, Steve yeah. Olker. What a guy. That's it. What a guy. What a guy, Steve Alka. Thanks, Joey. There are some uh, half-hour headlines for you. No news today, uh, given it's a public holiday. Um, we'd love to know, where are you listening from? If you're uh, away on holiday, it's not too flash up here in Auckland. The rain's coming down. Um, got very wet coming into work this morning. But um, hopefully you're enjoying your long weekend. Um, a couple of text messages that have come in here. Uh, one from Ron says, Guys, the Warriors are an embarrassment to the competition. They will sack the coach, but nothing else will change. That's from Ron. Um, and then Mike says, just keep backing the opposition to the Warriors, 13 plus. You might be able to get petrol in the car. <laughs> yeah, that's true, Mike. Um, 12 games remaining. Um, the draw is not favourable for the Warriors. Me and Kippy talked about this on Saturday night. They The front end of the draw for this, this season was very favourable. We thought they could probably win four or five of their first five matches. So they had the Dragons, the Titans, the Tigers, the Broncos, and the Cowboys, and this was the Cowboys who we didn't know were going to be so strong this year um, through the first five rounds. We thought they might have picked up, you know, four or five wins there. Um, As it has it, they only picked up uh, two, losing to the Dragons, Titans, and... um, Sorry, they picked up three, losing to the uh, Dragons and Titans first up. What, it's mean, what it means is that it's the next period of, of the draw where they face the Roosters, lost 22-14, the Storm 70 points to 10, um, and then the Sharks, the Rabbitohs, um, now the Seagulls, we've got the Sharks again, the Panthers. You know, we're running into a really difficult part of the schedule. Um, after the t- Sharks and Panthers, we've got that homecoming at Mount Smart against the Tigers. Then we've got Parramatta, the Raiders, the Storm, the Rabbitohs, the Bulldogs, the Cowboys, who are in third, uh, the Panthers again, and then the Titans. And I look at that and go, the Titans, the Bulldogs, and Wests at Mount Smart are probably the only three games I think we can win. So we're only three more wins for this season out of the next 12 games, which is, that is highly concerning. Um, highly concerning. Could go down as one of the worst Warrior seasons we've had. Um yeah, you're, you're a little uh, tip there, uh, Mike, 13-plus for the uh, opposition might not be too bad. And Dale says, uh, I'll say it, Cameron George is not the right person for the Warriors. He needs to concentrate on the thoroughbreds. Both are failing dismally. Um, I I do agree a little bit with you, Dale, to be honest. I Like Will, um, Cam's given me a lot of his time. Um, I do respect him as a CEO, um, as an administrator, and I think he's done some good stuff for the Warriors and often is quite open and transparent about how things have played out. I think the players... Uh, enjoy him as well, um, barring maybe Sean, given what happened back in, uh, in the end of 2017, uh, 2018. Sorry, um, But you've got to look back at his tenure. And, you know, it's a results-driven industry. We always talk about that. 
Um, and in the last five years, the Warriors have made the eight once, and then they've gone backwards since then. They've gone through two failed coaches. They now have the worst defensive record in the comp, um, with arguably the worst team and potentially the worst coach, certainly on win percentage. Now, yes, you can say that's the coach's fault um, or the player's fault, but the guy who appointed that coach is the CEO. Um, and I think if Nathan Brown's going to resign and fall on his sword, um, does that onus also fall on Cameron George, who made the decision to appoint him? Um, like I said before, there, there's clearly things going on at that club, from the ownership to the CEO to the coach to the players, everything. There's, there's just something going on between it all. And I'm not usually one to say wholesale changes, uh, but maybe that's what it takes. Uh, maybe that's what it takes. We'd love your thoughts, though. Double eight, double three, the Timberbed Post text machine, or you can call us on 0800 150 Jump aboard the conversation. We'd love to have you here. This is uh, SENZ, Sam Hewitt, filling in for Smithy until 12 and, and also for Staffy through until 2 o'clock. We'll be back right after this. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back into SENZ. Sam Hewitt uh, sitting in for Smithy this morning and then Staffy through until 2 o'clock. Staffy actually away for the next couple of weeks. So um, I'm going to take you through on afternoons from Tuesday to Friday and then uh, I think we're going to have Rick Dog in the chair next week. We're talking Warriors though um, and we just had a chat to Will Evans from the Warriors Life podcast. Um, a text in here from Jared says, Hi Sam, sorry sorry, I'm done with the Warriors for this season and yet another poor one. I think it's getting to a stage until there is a plan going forward. Why as a fan should I invest my time to be disillusioned yet again? Jared, I um, I think a lot of people are feeling like that just from what I've seen. You know, I'm part of a whole bunch of Warriors pages on social media and um, it's that, that word disillusioned is quite a good one because, um, and Will alluded to this as well, it feels different this time around for the Warriors. In the past, we've had uh, struggling seasons, we've had struggling coaches, uh, the playing roster hasn't quite been there, but you've always got the sense that the Warriors on their day could do something special, and that's why you went along, that's why you watched. They could have lost by 70 points to the Storm the week before, but you'd go along thinking that maybe they could beat the Panthers this weekend. That was always the attitude you had, whereas at the moment, um, you almost go into every game thinking they're going to lose, and just hoping that something else happens, which it, which hasn't been. Um, you're right in that it's hard to see a clear path forward. I mean, we've we've talked a lot on this station with guys like Kempi about development. There's no clear pathway for Warriors players as kids. Um, we are losing a lot of our junior grades. A lot of guys get snapped up by Aussie clubs and gone overseas. I mean, Tamiri Martin was playing Waikato Rugby League, ended up uh, ends up with the Broncos now playing at fullback. But how come we didn't get him? He was literally on our doorstep playing rugby league. Probably would have come on a trial and train contract. I think that's what he's on at the Broncos. Um, so he would have come at next to nothing. Um, and he was right here for us. So the development's a bit of a problem. Um, and then just the way that we've structured some of our contracts and we've let guys go and we're happy for them not to see out the rest of their contract without a plan in place. I mean, Matt Lodge, maybe they had to get rid of him. But what have they got in pl- to replace him? Because that pack now, and I know Fanua Blake is a big loss, through injury but that pack now has lost a lot of size a lot of size and they were bullied on the weekend by Manly absolutely bullied through the middle I actually thought our edge defence was a lot better on Saturday than it has been but we were absolutely bullied through the middle um, and that's just because we don't have that size anymore so there's there are these decisions that are being made that just don't seem to have um, any long term thinking in mind and I agree with you Jared that if you're a fan and you're seeing a club that doesn't seem to be going anywhere why would you um, 
put your hard time and money into them. Uh, another interesting thing um, from that game or the post-match um, was Nathan Brown's comments in the press conference. Um, he was sitting there with Tohu Harrison. I'll tell you what, Tohu Harris looked like he didn't want to be there, and I don't just mean at the press conference. Um, he, didn't like he, he didn't look like he wanted to be playing for the club. But uh, Nathan Brown made a very interesting comment in his press conference after the match. Yeah, you got your plan, which you got to run to, you know. And, you know, we by no means haven't entered every game this year. We've gone out there thinking we're going to win every contest, but we've certainly liked to compete in every contest, and we've we've had a few of late where we haven't competed well. So he says we've gone into a few games not thinking that we're going to win, but just wanting to compete. What coach and player in professional sport ever goes into a game not thinking they're going to win? And if they are. I'd be asking serious questions as to whether or not that person should be a professional athlete or a coach. If you are, if you are just going in hoping you can compete. Now, you know, if you look at a fourth division England side, um, English Premier um, football side going up against a Premier League side, maybe you've got an attitude like that. But even then, wouldn't you be going in thinking or hoping you can win and trying to win? Um, but that saying that you're going in just hoping to compete. I think raises massive red flags and not to mention the fact that Nathan Brown is saying no matter what happens I'm going to stick to my game plan um, you know I'm not going to change things because we're losing or because results haven't gone our way that's also highly problematic uh, Benji Marshall on Fox Sports later that evening I thought um, summed it up really well yeah it was interesting listening to him talk there you know talking about how he doesn't coach to pressure how he doesn't listen to that he coaches to what he thinks his ideas are and one of the things I took away that I was actually quite puzzled about was that he said sometimes we don't go into games thinking we can win, but we want to compete. Now, I know when it wasn't that long ago when I played, but I went into every game thinking I could at least win the game or try and win the game, yeah. not just trying to compete. And so if that sort of thing's filtering through the side, well, that's not a good thing. You know, so he's definitely under pressure. Like, five losses in a row. They're not in a good spot on the table. Yeah, worst defence in the competition, mm. and, and they've lost nine of their opening 13 rounds. Mm. Very interesting. I think Benji summed it up very, very well. Um, something else that, that's been um, grinding me a little bit as well is the performances of Sean Johnson. Now, I know he gets attacked a lot. He's an easy target. And in the past, I've actually stood up for Sean when you know others have put all the blame on him for the Warriors' woes. But there's a couple of things I want to talk about with Sean. Um, firstly, his role as a number seven is to direct the play on the pitch. And so many times over the last few weeks, and particularly on Saturday, when he gets the ball in hand, it's lo- it's almost like he doesn't have a plan. He doesn't know what he's doing. And the players don't know what they're doing. There was one play in the second half where he ran to the right-hand edge, threw a long ball out to Dallin Wittini-Zelezniak. He sort of bobbled it and went into touch. And Dallin was almost laughing as he got up. And I think he was basically just laughing, going, what are we doing? What, what even was that? I mean, it was directionless play. From This is from a guy who we know isn't at his the best that we saw, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago when he was running hard and he was stepping guys and he was scoring 80-metre tries. We know we're not getting that. What we thought we were getting with a 34-year-old Johnson was experience, um, game management, direction, uh, kicking game. None of those things we've seen from John, Sean Johnson in the last few weeks. And if Nathan Brown has any kahunas, um, I think any other coach in the NRL, if they had a situation like this, they'd, be- they'd bench him for the next game teach him a lesson Um, or, you know, show him that it's not good enough Um, because it's not. I mean, you can't have a 35-year-old stopping young guys playing and dressing it up as needing experience and needing someone to, you know, run run the play on the field and he's not doing it. 
Um, I just I just think that's totally unacceptable. Um, give us a text on double eight double three, the temper bedpost text machine, if you want to have your say, or you can uh, give us a call on oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. We'd love to chat to your Warriors fans about it. Um, I know it's a tough day, and I know we're almost repeating ourselves, aren't we? Feels like we're just going around in circles. Um, feels like we're going around in circles uh, trying to trying to work all this out, but. Um, yeah, are there any answers? Just a quick text here from uh, Richard who says, uh, Sammy Boy, may as well give Johnson the ass. and how has Aitken not been put into the centres already? There are no line breaks or creativity. Stacey is the attack coach, uh, attack coach, isn't he? Is he no good or is there a total disconnect through the whole setup? Good questions, Richard. I couldn't I couldn't really answer that with Stacey. I mean, you know, given his playing career, you'd think he'd um, know how to, direct an attack, a sides attack, but um, you're bang on. that. There's, I think we're last in the comp for line breaks, and we just don't look like breaking the line, do we? Um, and in regards to moving to the Aitken to the centres, I, I was calling for that a couple of weeks ago when our edge defence was just atrocious. I didn't think you were missing anything, taking Aitken out of the second row, putting him at centre, but I thought you were missing something massively by not having him in the centres. Um, Keith's called in from Auckland. Um, Keith, welcome in. Here you go. Very well, my friend. How are you? Good, good, good. Hey, I think this Warriors side just need a total clean-out, not all the coaching staff and that Cameron George should just go. Justin Morgan hasn't proved a thing since he's been there. Stacey Jones is just hanging around for like a bad smell. They need to get rid of everyone and start from scratch. Is there is there anyone that you'd want to bring in, Keith? Is there anyone you can think of? Because um, I know, you know, for me personally, I've just been wanting to, you know, get rid of Nathan Brown. But I guess the argument is, well, who are you going to bring in? Is there anyone on your radar that you'd want at the club? Well, who would want to come here for a start? So you <laughs> yeah. have to keep, you know, like Brown's got to see the season out, and then just hopefully they can find someone that has played the game and wants to carry on. Mm. Now you are. I mean, I can think about it from a player's point of view. Why would you, you know, want to want to upend and come over to New Zealand, given everything you've seen over the last few weeks, you know, with the ownership and um, with that whole debacle with Matt Lodge, but then also the on-field performances. It's um, it's almost a graveyard for careers at the moment, Keith. Uh, are you still gonna are you gonna keep watching them, or are you are you done for the season? Oh, you got to watch them just to have a laugh. But, you know. <laughs> uh, you got to you got to jump well, on but, you got to jump on Mike's tip. He says thirteen plus on the opposition every time. You might be able to fill your car up with some petrol. Oh, I think fifty <laughs> in these next couple of games. Jesus, yeah, maybe. nah. You know, like, hey, hopefully they can win a couple of games for the rest of the season, but. It's hard work. Yeah, it is hard work. Keith, thanks heaps for calling in, mate. We've got to shoot. Uh, we've got to take a break very shortly. Just before we do, though, uh, Sean has called in from Auckland. Sean, welcome in. Yeah, mate. How you doing? Very well, mate. How are you uh, on this uh, depressing Monday morning? Oh, well, mate. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, we've, we've got our, you know we had a reasonably good coach last year, and we've seen what he's done with a, a side that you know. And we we saw some good signs last year. And I think the thing that's probably most frustrating is look. Nathan Brown was never their first choice coach. Nobody in the NRL wants, wants a, a 30% NRL coach. I mean, he did all right in St. Helens and some of the clubs over there, but it's a different ball game. The guy doesn't seem to make any sense. Mm. Bringing Sean Johnson back, I just can't believe don't think it was ever going to work. Sean Johnson is exactly the same player he was when he left. He is somebody when the four packers going forward, Sean Johnson can add a bit of, bit of cream on top. But Sean Johnson has never been a player on a four-pack that doesn't get domination, 
that, that, that ever stand up and lead sides around consistently. And I'm, I use that word consistently. Mm. To, to hear the coach now saying that he's basically, you know, he's, he's, it, it just sounds like he's bereft of ideas. Um, look, this whole salary cap issue is, is the biggest frustration that I've ever come across is the fact that we've now got to go in next year in a competition that is so salary cap bound and we're going to go in with, they're talking between half a million and 700,000 down when we damn well know that we've got to pay overs to, to get, get our players to come across here. We don't, we don't have a decent coach that's, that's going to you know, get people to come across. I think that's another one thing. We somehow got to find a way, get, get money bags to um, open up the wallet and we need to find a coach that will actually attract players to come across because until that happens, and we've been talking about it for 20-odd years, um, I just don't see how things are going to change because, you know, let's be honest, it's the same stuff every year, isn't it? It is, Sean, mate. Really appreciate the call. We've got to run because we've got to get to this break before we get cut off, but I uh, appreciate your thoughts. You can give us a call on 0800 150 or text us on double eight double three. We're talking Warriors. We'll be back after this. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back in. Sam Hewitt sitting in for Smithy this morning and then Staffy uh, through until 2 o'clock. Uh, sorry we had to get away from <coughs> Sean quickly there to get the breakaway, Sean. But, um, look, really, really enjoyed your comments. And, um, you know, I, I totally agree with the fact that, you know, this season I really can only see us picking up maybe three wins at best three wins before the end of the season, which could go down as our worst ever season statistically. Um, and the salary cap issue, I mean, Cameron George and Mark Robinson brushed it away a couple of weeks ago, 700000 They said, you know, we're actually fine with the salary cap. We've uh, we've done all our calculations and we're totally fine, but I can't see where that's come from um, in terms of the signings that we've got. I mean, surely there's cash left over. And if there isn't... Um, Where's it all going? Um, we're going to talk, chat to Vossi after eleven. Um, we're going to chat some tennis later this uh, later in the show as well, as well as um, some cricket. Stay with us. New Zealand's number one selling side by side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back in, SENZ, uh, just gone 11 o'clock. Sam Hewitt sitting in for Smithy uh, and then um, sitting in for Staffy as well through until 2 uh, before the run home from 2 until 4. Hope you're having a good long weekend. We're talking Warriors and we're going to chat to uh, Vossi very shortly um, out of Australia, out of SEN. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the other games across the weekend, just the other three um, and State of Origin on Wednesday, but keen to get his thoughts on the Warriors too. Lots of good messages coming in on double eight double three. You can call as well, 0800 150 uh, Someone's text in saying, um, loving the chat, Christian Wolf in for coach and Mannering needs to be brought back into the fold. We've seen what Wolf has done with Tonga and Mannering can give us the backbone we've lost. Yeah, interesting. If you haven't seen the um, the Simon Mannering uh, chat with Monty Beetham on uh, Once a Warrior, that's on Sky TV. And I think you can watch it on demand if you go through Sky Go. Um very fascinating how Mannering, uh, how Simon has dealt with rugby league after leaving the Warriors. He uh, he's basically turned his back on the game. He doesn't watch any games anymore. Um, he's doing his building apprenticeship. Um, he sort of just said goodbye to rugby league. But Christian Wolf is a great shout, and I know his name has been thrown around um, quite a bit as well. There's a few more texts there that I'll get to um, a bit later on. But uh, I think we've got uh, Vossi on the line. Uh, Vossi, welcome in. Uh, yeah, coming in on a... It's hard to be bright about the Warriors, isn't oh. it? You know, I'd love to come on here and, and give you signs of hope and, and, you know, well, I saw this and, and that, but 
right now, I mean, that was the first weekend of winter, folks. Yeah. And, you know, cliched a bit, but this could be a very long winter oh, for the Warriors. Fossey, it's been a very, very tough morning. Um, I know Kimpy and uh, and the Bricky boys went hard on it for the, for their four hours, and we've already got a ton of people coming in on the text machine. I guess the the biggest um, the biggest sentiment that we're seeing is there's almost no answers anymore. I mean, what what is the answer? I mean, people were talking about Nathan Brown, then we go to Sean Johnson, then we start talking about CEOs. It just seems like the, the whole club from top to bottom, is, there's something fundamentally wrong. Yeah, look, I can give you feedback from this side of the ditch. You know, we've been talking about it on our breakfast show this morning. We've only just come off air and... Cut out, I guess. Have we lost them? We might have lost them. I was very interested to see what the Aussies were saying about uh, the Warriors. We'll wait and see if we can get uh, Vossi back up. Um just running through those other uh, results from the weekend just quickly, the Cowboys beating the Titans uh, 32 points to 6. They had six plays out with or, uh, to Origin. They still got the result. And the Panthers beating the Bulldogs 30 points to 18. Um, that was on a Friday night. And then, obviously, the Seagulls Warriors. And then the Roosters going down to the Raiders, 22 points to 16 um, yesterday, which was probably the upset because I had picked the uh, Roosters and all of that. Um, but, yeah, I think we've got Vossi back there. Vossi, you were saying uh, the, what you've been hearing from the listeners over there in, in Australia. Yeah, questioning the identity of the Warriors right now. What they stand for, what is their style of football, what are they, you know, what's their, if there's DNA, where does that carry on into this current squad? So mm-hmm. that's that's a fair question. I also tweeted out the other night when I was watching the game on Saturday night, um, the Warriors-Manly game, I just, I was interested to know, uh, you know, in comparison to pre-lockdowns and COVID two years ago, are you watching the Warriors as much? Are you watching as much rugby league? And I must say, I got a very mixed response. Um, you know, I've got the rusted on supporters who just, you know, absolutely pledge their loyalty, and I admire that greatly. But there were others that have said that, uh, no, they haven't, and it is to do with the Warriors, why that is the case. Um, there are others who said, look, well, no, they're still watching the Warriors because the Super Rugby hasn't exactly been outstanding in the interim. <laughs> so, yeah, there was this different opinion coming mm. in, but... At the crux of it all, the Warriors are now in a desperate situation for mine in terms of football. Um, I think I, I get to call them firsthand. I'll be in Redcliffe this Sunday night watching them firsthand against the Cronulla Sharks. If they put in another bad first half, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, I, I seriously, mm. you know, we're, well, we're 14 rounds into the season, and I might be scrambling to say the Warriors could be favourite in any other game they play this year. Yeah. Um, so they just got us. We we have to see something. Not just their fans, but everyone. We all need to see a fighting Warriors performance. And I know there was some bad calls from the ref the other night and all of that, but I just didn't see fight. No, we need to see fight. No, and and I think what's um, also been echoed a lot through our listeners, Vossi, is the fact that in the past, you know, Warriors teams they could struggle and they might get beaten by fifty points one week, but then the next week they'd come out and they beat the the Premiership favourites, you know, and it was the un yeah. uh, the unknown of the Warriors that sort of made us excited. Whereas this year, you almost go into every game thinking they're going to lose, but hoping something else happens. Well, I think now we look back at that performance a few weeks ago, that second half, and it's ironic, but we're talking Cronulla, where um, you know they played against 12 and they played against 11 men for a period of 10 minutes and didn't score a point. Now, that's, that's come home to roost. There's obviously some, some serious confidence issues and style of play issues and all the rest, and I know Sean Johnson's copying a lot of heat, and so he should. I mean, mm. Sean's got to expect that. He's signed as a senior player and leader 
and he's not aiming up. I know Corey Parker was very critical of him in commentary the other night, but that's not just the... That's not the only factor. You know, Sean Johnson playing well is not the only... Or if he's not playing well, is not the only factor to it. I just need to see more on desire and spirit. And, and, and can I give a case in point? Canberra. Six weeks ago, I have got a red felt pen through the Raiders said their season is gone. Mm. Well, they have shown that you can turn it around. Um, and they have now won four of their last five matches. And what I saw yesterday was just a team that wanted it more, playing the Roosters. You know, they just ran hard, tackled hard, you know, stuck at it, got under pressure, were able to finish off resilience. Maybe resilience is the greatest commodity in rugby league right now. If you can find resilience and have that and show it, then you're more than halfway along the struggle to being a, a more than a competitive side and on your way to victories. Vossi, you've been um, you've been following the game for a lot longer than I have. You would have seen clubs go through, I guess, periods of their history like this, um, and you know, crystal balling a little bit. If the Warriors do go through this season and only pick up a couple more wins, and it ends up being one of the worst seasons we've ever had, what in the past clubs that have been in this position, what's been the key to turning it around? Yeah, well, that's well, gee, there's a few blueprints there. Um, I I do think. Quality of the individual who you sign, and you know, I, I suppose the Warriors, and it goes back to the point I made earlier about a, a listener's observation this morning. What do the Warriors stand for? What is their style? Will go back into when the Warriors have been successful, and I probably look at someone like a Kevin Campion. Yep. You know, the the role he played at the club and the hard edged, and I could imagine he would have been. Look, I never attended a training session to know, but I could imagine around training. There was no you-know-what with, with Kevin. I mean, you turn up with your boots on and you train as you mean to play. Um, so I, I think that's a review. You talk about your leaders, then you do have to have a review of your leadership within the club. And no, I don't mean that they have to be the captain. I'm talking about the people you have around the club. And I look at what the Broncos did this year. So I'll bring another club into the picture. Adam Reynolds was seen as the key signing, but it's quite obvious uh, in Kevy Walters. Every interview I've heard from him, He's mentioned three players. He doesn't just say Reynolds. He says Kurt Capel, what he's done for the team. Not talking about on-field performance. He's talking about a grand final winner coming to the club in Kurt Capel. And he also has mentioned Ryan James. Now, Ryan James has done bugger all, really, on the field for the Broncos this year. But signing that experience, man, what he has done for the club and around the playing group, obviously is having an influence. So, you know, there's a few strands to leadership, isn't there? Mm. And qualifications and credentials. I mean, you can have grand final winners... And you can have grand final winners who actually play an active role among other players and it rubs off. So I think the Warriors need to look very hard at that. Who is their leadership group um, going forward? Does the current roster have those type of players? Because the observation of many right now would be, no, it doesn't. Mm. Nathan Brown, uh, who yeah was coming under a lot of pressure, and uh, I know Mark Robinson came out last week said he's going to be here till the end of the year. Um, there are you know people texting in and calling in saying that you know he might resign if, if a couple more losses come our way. If something like that happened, or if he does leave at the end of the year, is there anyone floating around that you can think of off the top of your head that might be good in that sort of Warriors coaching role? Well, I know for a fact that the Warriors have had a, a previous little dabble at Shane Flanagan. Now, of course, he is available um, it, without without coaching job at the moment, working in the media, both on radio in Sydney, but uh, alongside me and the team at, at Fox League. And Shane wants to coach. I mean, mm. you know, he's, he's not retired in any stretch. He would come to the club. Yes, he's had his issues, but he comes as a, a premiership winner 
and clear thoughts on how the club is to be run and, and how a team's to operate. I think when you're talking cabs waiting on the rank, I'd probably rather go with someone who has done a little bit of being there, done that, than rather than going to the rookie coach, throwing them in, you know, basically into the wolves with yeah. with the Warriors in their present situation. I think I need a coach who's not afraid to lose. Is probably you know, he's not worried about their job <laughs> and the next game. They they do have to go there and and really map out what's going to happen and look at the roster and where we have to be and what we want to be and and bring a a playing style because I know under Shane Flanagan, I knew what I was getting from the Sharks every week. And the Sharks were a side that could play ugly and win and would be in the grind. We said it so many times with the players they had, you know, Cronulla would be happy if they, you know, it's six all, it's the 75-minute mark. You know, they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Let's roll up the sleeves and get, get into it. So they, I knew under Shane Flanagan the side of, you know, the type of football I was getting from the side. So I would put in Shane Flanagan as a nomination if the position's vacant. Uh, Vossi, just a quick look at some of the other games um, across the weekend. I was a little bit surprised um, by the Cowboys and the Panthers. I thought the Titans might do it, given that the Cowboys were missing six plays for Origin. And then uh, the Panthers, a few people, obviously last year they lost to the Tigers during that Origin period, so a few people thought that might happen with the Bulldogs. But both teams um, really stepped up. Oh, can I say this about the Titans? As disappointed as I am in the Warriors, I'm more disappointed in the Titans this season. See, mm. I had the Titans in my top eight. Yep. You're backing up last year. And they've got three wins, and I don't know whether I could tip them again this year. Um, Matt Johns put it nicely this morning. He said the Titans was like you turn up at a bar fight, and the Titans were the bloke who threw the first punch and threw their, their strongest possible punch and didn't make a difference. <laughs> you know, like they had nothing more than that, yeah. and they scored the first try in the 15th minute and never scored again. And the Cowboys' defense is so well drilled and organized and you know, sixteen six by half time and then complete shutout second half. So Titans are, you know, you know, desperately off the pace. Bulldogs off the pace. Penrith minus troops. They've just got an aura. They know how to win. It's not about who's out, it's about who's in. Mm. Um and, and they get the job done. And again, they get on the front foot, they score in the fourth minute, twenty two six at half time. Bulldogs spirited, but you know, Penrith are just a, a winning football club right now. Like mm. they in all areas. In all areas. Um, and I thought the most impressive game of the weekend was the one I called yesterday, Raiders and Roosters. And I've already said, you know, what a great turnaround, Raiders. I just think they won, you know, they evenly matched sides yesterday. Um, the game got down close, eighteen sixteen with ten to go, and the Raiders finished it off. I, I just love the spirit they showed. You know, players playing out of their skins at the moment. Blokes mm. like Corey Horsburgh and the young fullback Xavier Savage, Joseph Tarpany, probably number one prop in the game <laughs> based on his form of the last few weeks. He's outstanding. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, yesterday's game was definitely the highlight for me over the weekend. And uh, just finally, Vossi, uh, State of O on Wednesday. Kiwis uh, just love to get in behind State of Origin, which always makes me laugh because 99% of us have no affiliation to New mm. South Wales or Queensland, but we somehow seem to be just as passionate as you guys. Uh, what are you picking for Wednesday night? No, oh, Queensland don't mind picking Queen, uh, you know, New Zealand-born players. Well, mind you, New South <laughs> Wales did pick James Tamo, didn't they? True. Palmerston, um, uh, Palmerston North. Uh, I am going New South Wales, but I think there'll only be the one score in it. You know, a, a two-point difference, four-six. That would probably see it out. Maybe, maybe a Nathan Cleary field goal will be an important um, trigger in the game. But uh, I'm, I'm thinking close. 
spoke to Cameron Smith this morning. He said he'd be happy if he could say Queensland could score 20 points. He thinks 20 points would be the winning score. So I'm going to go with 20 points as the winning score. You know, maybe 20 to 18. That that might be the score line in game number one with James Tedesco to be man of the match, the Brilliant. captain of the Blues. Brilliant. There you go, Vossi. Uh, thanks heaps for coming on, mate. Always appreciate your time. Yeah, good luck to the Warriors. Just hang in there. And as I say, I'll report from the coalface Sunday night uh, when they play up in Redcliffe against the Sharks. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. There you go. Vossi there joining us out of his studio over in uh, Sydney calling the Warriors. And uh, as he says, uh, hang on, hold tight. Um, a couple of text messages here I just want to read out quickly before we go to the break. Uh, Lee actually said before we talked to Vossi, um, I sent this message last week and I stand by it. The only chance the Warriors have got to get their season back on track is to get Kevin Campion, Steve Price, Hitro Cassini out of retirement. Mental toughness and hard, hard work is what these guys epitomised, unlike these theories. That's from Lee. Um, and Vossi just echoed that, didn't he? A, a real hard person in that setup. And look, I love Tohu Harris. I, I just love him as a player. Um, I love what he brings. But. Yeah, as a leader, does he have that real edge and toughness to really put a fire under the belly of the players, which is sort of what we need. And I think some of those younger guys like Reese Walsh and Chanel Harris-DeVita are missing that in a way. You know, it almost is like they're out there on their own um, as a youngster and trying to figure it all out. Um, And, you know, Vossi talked about um, Shane Flanagan potentially coming on as coach. Would you like that? Is that the answer for you? Um, double eight double three. If you want to have your say, or oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Give us a call. Um, we'd love to have a chat. We've got a little bit of time before um, before eleven thirty. Um, tell us who you'd want to get as coach. I personally, and I've actually just got a text that's coming here saying uh, the New Zealand Warriors should look at the Walker Bros. Um, I was I was big on the Walker Bros before the signing of Nathan Brown, and I'll tell you why. And I've said this a few times on the station before. When you look at the best coaches in the world in sport. And I'll use Jurgen Klopp from Liverpool. Let's use Phil Jackson from the NBA. He won uh, 11 titles, um, six with the Bulls, five with the Lakers. Um, Scott Robertson in uh, Super Rugby with the Crusaders. What do these guys all have in common? They're all unique individuals who do things differently. They're a little bit different. They're not the stoic, you know, vanilla brand, you know, play to a structure type coaches. They are, there's something different about them and even like Craig Bellamy to an extent there's something different about him too um, there was something different about the Walker bros you know they they wouldn't kick on the last tackle because they didn't believe in just giving the ball away they would do short kickoffs regularly uh, they would kick on the second tackle with a little chip and chase you know to, to throw the opposition and, and I remember listening to an interview with them where they said the reason why they do that is rugby league is so structured and so many teams are expecting you to just do four hit ups and then send it wide or four hit-ups and a kick. Why? Why not put a kick in on the second tackle and and completely bamboozle them? And, you know, a lot of people have said this. It's not the fact that the Warriors are losing. It's the fact that the way that they're losing, the attitude, the lack of identity, etc. Um, some a, a team like the Walker Bros, I thought. And then you've also got two coaches, which shares a little bit of the pressure and a little bit of the load, whether or not it hampers you with um, communication lines I'm not sure but I would say that having two there is you know better than just having one head of the snake you know you can have two there um, so yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of the Walker Bros um, we've got a couple of texts here I'm going to read out very shortly we're going to take a break though and uh, Michael's also texting saying let's go Black Ferns this afternoon that's right Black Ferns taking on Australia I think kickoffs at 2.45 um, so I'm sure the run home will be giving you live updates uh, throughout that as well and uh, I can also let you know um it's just come through to me. I'm just going to make sure that I'm not going to get in trouble for reading this out. Um, 
No, uh, I can let you know that officially uh, Ben Sawyer um, has been appointed the White Ferns head coach on a two-year con- uh, contract, recently worked as the Australian women's fast bowling coach since 2018, um, so a lot of experience over in Aussie. He's going to be the new White Ferns coach, and I think he might be available for interviews this afternoon. So either the run home or potentially tomorrow, um, someone will have him on the program. be good to hear what he's going to bring to the White Ferns setup. And I'd be interested to know if he had any say in the contracts because that was a bit of an area of consternation, wasn't it, with uh, Bob Carter still having his hand in the contracts despite being the outgoing coach. So I wonder if um, if the incoming coach had any say in that. Um, your texts, double eight double three, the Timber Bed Post text machine, and calls 0800-150-811. We'll do those after the break. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back into SENZ on your uh, Queen's Birthday Monday public holiday. Hope you're having a great day. If you're travelling back, drive safe. Uh, the roads are pretty uh, wet out there, so uh, make sure you stay safe. Um, look, we're not just going to talk Warriors for the uh, for the whole show. We've got plenty coming up. Uh, Stump by Smithy very, very shortly, just after 11.30, your chance to win uh, with Stump by Smithy. We'll find out what's making news as well. After 12, uh, we'll talk some cricket. Uh, Nikesh Raghani, um, part of our commentary team over in England, is going to talk about the Black Caps and England, which wrapped up this morning. The English winning by five wickets. Baz and Ben Stokes' first win from one game uh, in charge. Not sure we can read too much into that, but um, we'll chat with Nikesh around uh, what went wrong for the uh, Black Caps this morning at Lords and what's going to be expected at Trent Bridge. Uh, we're also going to talk tennis. Uh, Simon Cambers, who's a very well-respected tennis journalist and commentator, uh, after 12.30, uh, live from the French Open, where Rafa Nadal has won his 14th French Open, his 22nd major at 36 years of age. Honestly, this is quite remarkable, um, almost unbelievable, but Rafa just seems to keep doing it. And apparently his foot's nearly falling off. Anesthesia in his, uh, um, in his foot, he basically can't feel it. So we'll see uh, We'll see what's, uh, what's going on with Simon. Um, and then uh, after one, we're going to go across the ditch with Matty White. We'll talk a little bit of rugby, a bit of super rugby. Um, the Brumbies, the only team, the only Australian team to make it through to the um, the Super Rugby semi-finals. Uh, just a few texts here on the Timber Bed Post text machine, double eight double three, or give me a call, 0800 150 811. Love to have a chat. A uh, bit of a long one here. It says, uh, Brown, uh, uh, does it have a name? No name. Um, Brown out immediately along with the assistant coaches. Defence is rubbish, attack is rubbish, game strategy is rubbish. Flanagan in immediately, and he can bring his assistants. Johnson should retire. He's gun-shy on attack and a turnstile on defence and has never been a leader. Remember that the senior players didn't want him last time he was pushed out the door. Yes, I do remember that. Uh, He wouldn't get a contract anywhere else on his current form. I'm so disillusioned, but we have to do something, not just stick to Brownie's plan. I can't believe he said they don't play to win. You always try to win, even with the odds against you. You find a way, even something out of the box like the Tigers back in 05. Find out how to make the most of our strengths, not play to some copied formula. That is a fantastic text. Text of the day for me. Um, sums up everyone's thoughts very well. Um, Dale disagrees, though. He says, uh, Warriors should chase Laurie Daly, uh, married to a lovely Kiwi woman too. Flano does come with a great supplement program. <laughs> I do like that, Dale. I do like that. And a very dodgy email account. Um, Sammy from Arrowtown says, Flanagan will do nothing for our culture. He is a proven cheat. We cannot go down that path. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of 50-50 on Flanagan, sort of for that reason. Sammy, I, I, I don't know if I don't know where he's at after all that drama's sort of taken place. There's no doubting that the guy's a good coach, given that he took Cronulla to a premiership, then made a bunch of final series post, didn't sort of have that second-year syndrome where they just completely disappeared. But... 
he's got that hanging over him. And, you know, given we're talking about culture, we're talking about leadership and that and characters at the club, I'm not sure if he quite fits that billing. Um, but he's a good coach. I'm still going to go with the Walker Bros. Um, Sumo Willie, driving the truck in Brizzy. Give us a, give us a honk on the horn, Sumo. Um, he says, completely agree with the Walker Bros. I was coaching in Ipswich and went to a coaching clinic with them, was blown away by the, their ideas and innovation, completely changed the way I looked at the game and how I coached. They are quite brilliant. Check out Ipswich Jets winning season on YouTube. Yeah, I, um, if you can go on YouTube and just have a look at a couple of the Walker Bros, they do like these little coaching videos um, and they've done a couple of interviews as well that um, I've really enjoyed. Just go and look them up and just hear them talk and it, it's quite inspiring and I think um, Warriors fans would really enjoy them. And, and like I said, look, we might lose by by 30 points one week, but if we go and beat Penrith the next week, you know, at least it's entertaining and at least we go on a journey with them. At the moment, it's just, man, it's tough. I, I've not missed a Warriors game in basically seven years, but I'm getting close to um, to not tuning in. I, I mean, Sunday, I don't see them beating the Sharks. I think Nico Hines will back up from Origin because I don't think he's going to play many minutes um, coming off the interchange. I think it's a it's a full strength um, shark side. Then we play the Panthers in the next week. You know that's almost a foregone conclusion. The Tigers at Mount Smart on the third of July. I mean, I'd say we we beat them, but who knows at that stage? Because we would have been on a seven game losing streak by that point. I don't know. I do not know. Um, keep your texts coming on double eight double three. You can give me a call as well on oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. As I said, stump by Smithy is coming up very shortly. Um, your chance to win, all you got to do is call and uh, take us on a little bit of a quiz segment. We're going to do that um, very shortly as well. And uh, Joey did mention the uh, the the honours list. The um, is it Queen's birthday honours, isn't it? Queen's birthday honours. Yes, that's so correct. you get dames, but you don't get you don't get um, sirs, do you? Like it's not Sir Ross Taylor. I genuinely don't know. Oh, what do you mean? Like he he got all of merit. Do you know? So B, do you know B Matt? You got any idea? Who's B-Man? Brian. Oh, Brian. Brian, do you know? What's that? No, Brian has no idea. <laughs> hey, let's get to some headlines. Okay, eh? let's get to some headlines. Go on. <laughs> Joey's headlines. I'm just doing my own bed. Please keep going. Can you sing along as well? Keep going, keep going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, no, I can't. Anyways. <laughs> Oh, so, um, as as Sam reported, uh, Ben Sawyer has been named, has been confirmed as the new head coach of the White Ferns. Uh, it'll be a two-year deal. Um, he said, I, I can't wait to get stuck in. I see a lot of potential in this White Ferns group, and I feel really optimistic about helping to untap that potential so they can take their cricket to the next level. Um, we had uh, Brian, is it Stronach? No. Uh, yeah, Brian Strong. Yeah, yeah, he Brian was uh, one of the selectors. On, yeah. on Smithy Show um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that um, at the end of the day, they uh, they want to develop coaches within uh, the White Ferns, but uh, within New Zealand, but they're willing to go um, outside to find the best coach available. And it was obviously um, Ben. He's a coach for the Sydney Sixers in the T20, and he's um, coached for Birmingham Phoenix in the English 100. So he's obviously very experienced. Yeah, and, and I'm sure a few of the White Ferns uh, players would have encountered him through the Big Bash over in Australia. Um, I see Sophie Devine as well has come out saying that they're really looking forward to working alongside him. He's been a key figure in the ongoing success of the Australian women's team and uh, Sophie says we hope we can tap into the bank of experience and grow together as a team. Obviously the upcoming Commonwealth Games campaign in Birmingham and the Tour to the West Indies uh, are sort of the next things on the calendar. So um, 
yeah, good appointment. We'll see how it goes. Exciting times. Um, and then looking at someone who's leaving... Um, uh, well, no, it's a terrible segue. Anyway, it's Kevin Na. Uh, <laughs> Where are you going with this, Joey? Well, I was going to say, like, from one person incoming to a group, from one person leaving a group. Sure, okay, here we Kevin go. Kevin Art is leaving the PGA Tour and he's joining the Saudi LIV, League. The Saudi League, Ooh. yeah, yeah. The, the newest. Um, his Apparently he's kind of known as a free bird. He actually said his decision to leave is, uh, is for freedom because uh, it gives him more freedom, which is I'm weird. Sure. Is he American? Is he American? <laughs> yeah, he is American. Yeah, well, there you go. They've got a weird idea of freedom. Um... A gun for hire, that's basically what he is, no pun intended. Um, the Saudi League, they get pa- I mean, if you look that up, Google how much they, those guys get paid. It's it's hard money to turn down, Joey. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation. But, I, I'd um, definitely take the money. I have no morals. And <laughs> <laughs> finally, yeah, going back to Nadal, you um, yeah. said this morning. Rafa, vamos. What, what a win. Vamos. Wins his 14th Roland Garros title, his 22nd title, a grandstand title overall. What a legend! And but unfortunately, um, his foot injuries is getting worse and worse. It's something that really affects him in the past couple of years. And he said earlier this week that if he could choose between winning more Grand Slams or um, like never having a problem with his foot ever again and just living a normal life, he'd put never having like well, a foot injury. Of course, he would when you've won twenty two. But this is the thing, though. He's like, got the Grand Slam on 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 offer. Yeah, the, cur- the calendar grand slam. I mean, I, exactly. See, I reckon because he's really trying to get to Wimbledon. He said, yeah. Uh, and like, I think in years past he wouldn't because his foot's so bad. He would usually take something like Wimbledon off, especially because he hasn't had a lot of success there recently. Yeah. Uh, but I believe he's going for the calendar grand slam and then potentially might retire. I would if I was him. Well, it's funny because if he didn't win the French or if he say didn't win the Aussie, yeah, I don't know if he would have gone to Wimbledon. But the fact that it's still on the cards, I think, is why he wants to do it. And. It's you know it's interesting because Djokovic has really not um, had a lot of real match play tennis recently. So that, and that showed when they come up against each other in the uh, in the semifinals. And then you know Federer has basically disappeared. So not that it's a free run for Nadal, but he's got he'd be going in almost as the favourite if he if he makes it. Um, and then if he gets Wimbledon, then he's that sets up a very interesting US Open. Um, yeah, you know, you're going right. four from four. I mean, like, I think Wimbledon doesn't really suit his um, his strengths because the ball doesn't bounce as much and so he can't play far back from the baseline. Look at you, Joey, eh? Hey? Yeah. Yeah. old tennis analyst over well, here. That, old uh, tinny Joey. That's why it's the Federer's home usually Wimbledon because he can play the drop shots and really take the speed off the ball better than anyone else. That's great, yeah. Um, but in recent years, it's been Djokovic who's dominated. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I actually could see a new blood winning it, to be honest. Okay, interesting. It was uh, I did hear um, Brett Phillips on with the Breakfast Boys this morning talking about why um, the Dow is so dominant on clay and what makes it so different from the other courts. And there was some really interesting stuff about how, um, obviously, the ball isn't as fast um, and the spin that Nadal gets on the ball, particularly because there are generally no night games at Roland Garros. There was this year, but there generally isn't night games. And during the day because of air pressure, I don't want to get too scientific, Joey, but because of air pressure, etc., you can get a lot more revolutions on the ball. Um, so he he played a night game, two night games at, at Roland Garros this year. It didn't really affect them, but um, those were just a few factors that make clay so hard to play on, not to mention the fact that the Aussies, the the, um, the Americans, etc., like pretty much don't play on clay when they're kids, whereas in Spain and Italy, etc., they grow up on clay courts. Um, so they're very used to it, you know, yeah, used to you, the speed. Do you like, because he's won 14 there, yeah. and he obviously leads 22 overall, um, most grand slams of any uh, men's singles player. I mean, 
do you think that he can be seen as the best when he's won 14 at one place? Or, or do you think when question. one place shows his greatness? That's, that's, a, that's a great question, Joey. I, I always ask that question of people. Yeah, is, is it Federer more well-rounded? Oh, actually, Djokovic, I think, is the best of them in terms of he has the most across, like, evenly spread. So, you know, is he the best overall? But there is something to be said for a guy who just completely dominates one tournament. I think the fact that he still won Wimbledon, he still won the US Open, he still, it shows that he can play outside of clay um, so I think he's got to be considered one of the goats I mean I'm a Federer guy so I'm going to say Fed the Fed Express where, where do you sit at the top three who's oh, your number definitely one definitely Nadal Nadal yeah, oh, yeah okay I just I can't stand the mannerisms I can't stand the mannerisms and I can't stand um, generally <laughs> this tournament aside with his foot but generally he loves leaving early with an injury um, he does often, often when yeah. he's losing. So, um, <laughs> but no, he's he's battled through this one. Hey, credit to him. He's he is a fantastic player. I won't take that away from him. Um, Simon Cambus, uh, who is a very well respected tennis writer and broadcaster slash commentator, he's going to come on uh, just after twelve thirty, I think, and um, and chat about the French Open with us. But uh, we're going to play Stump by Smithy. Got to give us a call oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Your chance to win. Um, Joey's got some categories of questions here, and uh, all you've got to do is get them right and hope that you don't get stumped by me um, and uh, yeah you could be in for a little bit of wing so we're going to take a break and we'll come back with uh, Stump by Smithy right after this Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side by side brand summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ Ian Smith's had a good match here Stumped by Smithy Ian Smith really is top class at his job I'll tell you who else is top class at his job, and that's Joey Bell, who uh, needs to redeem himself. Joey, after your performance on Stump by Smithy last time. Yeah, it was terrible. I didn't, I look, I'll be honest, I didn't really properly understand the rules or even the concept of Stump by Smithy. <laughs> I like, I, I forgot, like, Smithy's a wicket keeper. He's behind me. Correct. He, he takes a ball, and like, yeah. if, if the person it's gets pretty the simple, wrong, Joey, he pretty, stumps you. Yeah. It's pretty simple, mate. <laughs> um, I did not get it. I hope Smithy's not listening today because I'm scared about how this is going to go. But over to you, my friend. Okay, well, um, it's time for Stump by Smithy. Up for grabs today is a $50 bonus, a TAB bonus bet, plus some sleep drops. Daytime Revive, they're New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And joining us at the crease first is Chris. Chris, how are you doing, mate? From Foxton. From Foxton. Uh, not too bad, mate. Yeah, how are you, how are you guys? All right? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, working a public holiday, but I'm working with two of my favourite people in the world, Brian oh, and Sam. That. So it's always a good day. Um, okay, let's get to the quiz, eh? Um, I wrote it, so... Good luck. Some of the questions might be wrong. Isn't there like a little... uh, Yes, yes. Oh, right, 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 (laughs) right. I'm already (laughs) screaming a lot. Oh, no. I get the three... No, I get the three categories first. (laughs) Oh, okay. Look, I... Yeah. Yeah. I'm stepping out of line now. (laughs) I'm stepping out of line. (laughs) No ball. It's a no ball. All right. No ball, no ball. Chris, the three categories today are tennis, rugby union, and soccer slash football. Soccer football. Okay, soccer. You got a soccer. Ooh, Ooh. Okay, okay. Ooh. Let's go, Chris. Let's go. <laughs> it's all right, mate. Me and you both. Yeah, actually, this is the toughest of the three, so good luck. Damn. Okay. okay. Who scored the goal against Bahrain and Wellington to propel the Wall Whites into the 2010 FIFA World Cup? Ah, yeah, I think I know this one. Um, oh, it's a... Uh, yeah, the guy headed the ball. I can see it. 
Okay. I'm taking that as an incorrect answer. Yeah, that's an incorrect um, answer, yeah. This is my turn to try and stop. Yes. Um, I think uh, ball goes out in the far-hand side, corner kick, Leo Berthos delivers, it's an outside curler, uh, Rory Fallon jumps up, nice header, almost straight at the keeper, but just with the power slightly to his left, I think, back of the net, and uh, the All-Whites go through, Rory Fallon. Bang, bang. Just a couple of chips Woo! down the wicket, right Woo! in the slot, and away it goes. Don't mess with Sam, eh? Okay, Chris, you're gone. Richie, you're up next, mate. How are you feeling about football? Oh, same as Chris. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Who succeeded Ricky Herbert at the Wellington Phoenix following his resignation in 2013? As head coach, by the way. Um, Thoughts? Nah. nah. Oof. Okay. Nah. It's a nah. No, it's no, a nah. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I'm gonna I'm gonna take an absolute stab and say Andy Merrick. Sam, you are Just a couple of chips Good down the wicket. Right in the Woo! slot and away it goes. Bang, Sam. Bang. He's on a hat trick. He's, He's on, on a hat trick. Alright, is he gonna take John out? John, football, confident? Oh, That'll be just a guess, probably. That's no, all right. <laughs> but Excellent. we'll give it a crack. I don't think swing, Sam... for the, swing for the fences, Johnny boy. <laughs> <laughs> Good, let's go. <laughs> Which club did Winton Roofer win the Bundesliga title with? Uh, Word of Bremen. Oh, oh right. Right on the side and away it goes. On the hat trick ball. That was quick, yeah, too, John. What are you talking about guessing, yeah. mate? That was right off the bat. Yeah, no, I know that one, pal. Uh, obviously, he's been a bit of a legend in New Zealand for a long time, so uh, some things you take note of in certain sports, don't you? And he's a bit of a legend. So, yeah, I knew oh. that one. That was quite easy, actually. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you should have put that one first, Joey. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, that's all right. For me, it would be the toughest. Hey, congratulations. You won the sleep drops and the TAB voucher. I just double-checked with uh, Brian to make sure that's all right. So, <laughs> have a good one, mate. Thanks, John. Just hold the line there, mate, and uh, and Brian will get your details. Uh, Joey, better effort this time round, mate. Well done. Um, questions were okay. Yep, I was uh, waiting in the back. I was I was just trying to wrap my brain. Where to bring my? I probably would have said. Oh, I would have had to think about it. I would have had to think See, about yeah. it. Yeah. Don't know if I would have got it under pressure. No. Don't know what I got it under pressure, but good from you, Joey. Um, hey, we're going to find out what's making news after the break. Yeah. Can't wait. Let's do that awesome. after this. New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. What happens next? Joey. Oh God, I, <laughs> Joey! What are you doing, son? I put all my mental efforts oh, to no. not screwing up, no. and some of and, and, and I've done the wrong one. I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? In your defence, they both, on the sort of button bar thing here, both start with what. Yes. So, you know, forgiven, uh, but inexcusable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you got, Joey? 
Well, what's some what's faking news, mate? What's making news around the world? Well, look, uh, are you a political guy? You're into politics? Um, just passing interest. You know Boris Johnson's in a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, because um, of his parties. Because of his parties, and they're actually looking to uh, probably vote him out uh, yep. this week. Yes. So, in a last-ditch effort to, to keep his reign, he decided that... Um, in honour of the Queen's Jubilee, what they're going to do is that uh, he's going to make it so that they'll go back to the imperial uh, ways of measurement in the stores and stuff. Oh, so, my God. So, yeah, so right now they do, like, KGs and oh, stuff. Oh, Boris, what are you doing? Yeah, but he, he says that those like those metrics are you know are, are more British and stuff, and they actually had to go to, like, the... Um, the like, pounds. Yeah, and, the pounds and oh stuff. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. What, for a day or...? No, no, forever. What? Yes, he wants to go back to that forever because because the reason why they moved to like kgs and stuff was because uh, that's what they do in Europe. Yes, and so they had to, and it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty much what everyone in the world does except for America. Yes, mm-hmm. see, America is so stupid. I agree. <laughs> I, I I agree. I hate the imperial system uh, of measurement, but he reckons that the, this will uh, this will win favor amongst oh, the, the people that he's lost. So. I, I disagree, but okay. Yeah, it, each to their own. Each to their own. Um, and then next up in France. Mm-hmm. I think you might have had this one because this is a bit of an old story. I'm going to connect two stories together. The Mona Lisa got caked yep. by an old woman. Yes. Um, and and uh, fighting the, climate change. Fight. Yes. 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 Didn't, yeah. Wasn't a young man dressed as a as an old woman in a wheelchair and That's then jumped right. up out of the wheelchair and smeared it with cake. Well, um, a man in Florida has been like Flowrider. Flowrider. Yes. <laughs> He's been selling like fake. Banksy, fake Andy Warhol, like fake Da, is his name da Vinci's. Mark, is his name Mark Stafford? No. Okay. No, but, but and he was he was making these for a hundred dollars, and he was selling them for eighty five like thousand dollars US wow, and stuff. Wow, that is incredible. And yeah, and he was he had like um, two art galleries, one and uh, Palm Beach, and like another somewhere else. It's like, well, if you went to a Palm Beach art gallery and you saw all these like Andy Warhol paintings <laughs> and stuff, wouldn't you be yeah. a little suspicious? Yeah, that's very true. And um, so, is this the guy who smeared the pa- smeared the cake, or you're just, no, no? I was connecting two art stories two, together. Two, two big well, art stories in a yeah. week, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it's rocking like, the art world. Yes, rocking the art world. Um, and rocking the wedding world. Yes. This woman upset her guests because she didn't um, spend any money on catering, like or, or food or, or drink. Instead, she spent the money that was supposed to go to catering that her parents gave to her for catering on um, getting the real Mickey and Minnie Mouse to her wedding from um, from ah! Disneyland. Wow. Now, what would you want as a guest at the wedding? Would you want the catering or would you want to see Mickey and Minnie Mouse? Oh, I like, probably- The kids would love it. Yeah, the kids would love it. Um, I mean, I don't care too much about the food. The drink's important, though. I, I think I'd probably prefer drink over Minnie and Mickey. But you can you can leave the food to a side. Like, I don't really like eating at a wedding because you're wearing the nice white shirt or something, you know? Okay. And you don't want to spill anything Best on thing it. about weddings are the food, though, Joey. You should know that. No. Best thing about wedding is the food. I don't like I don't like wedding food. You know, I don't like eating... <laughs> you don't of, like wedding food? What? No, like, I, I, I don't like eating... Like, often it's like, you know, like, Potatoes and like chicken and stuff. I don't know. Like I just want burgers and chips and. Oh, some people burritos. do that now. Some people do the food trucks at weddings and you just get burgers and food. Do you um? Do you have a fact? I do have a fact. Oh, actually. brilliant! Because I don't know if you remember the fact, Joey. What I, have you got? I always forget the fact. I finally yeah. remembered it this time. Brilliant. That is a fact in and of itself. That is a fact. Um, a fun fact to do with the, the royal family because it's Queen's birthday. Yeah. Topical. They are no longer allowed to play Monopoly. They they made a decision as a family. Um, 
about 10 years ago because I used to play it every Christmas and they would fight all the time. Wow. They got really like Game of Thrones up there. I see. So yeah, Prince yeah. Andrew, Red, Red. yeah, Prince Andrew the fourth uh, son said, nah, the queen put her foot down and said, nope. No more Monopoly. No more Monopoly. Wow. And that's quite funny because obviously a lot of families uh, are in a similar position, mine included. Um, yeah. You'd think that the royal family would be immune from those sort of things. But no, not even they. Can uh, can get over the debate as to whether or not free parking means you pick up the money in the middle, um, <laughs> or you just uh, free their park. What do you reckon, Joe? Do you pick up the money in the middle if you're on free parking? Definitely, yes. Yeah, Brian, what yeah. do you reckon? Hundred percent. What are some other? What are the other rules that people that are really contentious? Like I had a mate who, um, and I'm pretty sure it is in the rule book, but I had a mate who was a stickler for if someone landed on your property and you didn't say rent, then they don't have to give you the money. Oh yeah. So not just like a, oh, I land on your building, here's the money. If you don't say rent then they don't have to pay so what you would end up is like speed monopoly where people just try and roll really quickly to because if you roll the next dice then obviously the person's missed their chance um but i can't think of the free parking's the big one i don't know if there's anything else can you think of any other ones that i can't i my brother played the rent one though too he he would say you have to say rent quickly and and i remember because i remember when we were like 10 or 8 you know like um, my parents were like okay you can play monopoly by yourself we won't like look over you and mm-hmm. my dad my brother just started making up the rules willy-nilly <laughs> yeah you know we didn't like quite understand and he would charge us more rent than like a place really so, yeah. should be and stuff so it was more of a uh of well, a, com- of a, commu- of a communism a- type game than a <laughs> <Yes>. capitalist <laughs> it was yes <laughs> as intended um and uh, landing on go, I had one where if you land on go, you get 400 instead of 200. If you land directly on it, as opposed to going past it, oh, you that's get 400 dumb. instead of 200. Oh, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I've got a fact for you as well, just as we uh, get ready to build up to the last air break. Um, did you know The Lion King was actually made by Disney's B team of animators? And that's because they thought Pocahontas was going to be a much bigger hit. So they put the A team on Pocahontas. And put the B team on Lion King. You know, I did know that. Lion King ends up becoming one of the most successful animated cartoon movies of all time. Yeah. No, I actually did know that. Did you? Yeah, because... Um, it's just full of facts, aren't you? Well, <laughs> well I just love, like, uh, Disney princess movies. And so Pocahontas oh, is my probably my favourite over the Lion King. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's something you admit on a live nationwide radio station, Joey. But uh, there you go. Uh, that's what's making news. <laughs> Coming up to 12 o'clock. Uh, after 12, i uh, got a very busy hour. We're going to chat with Nikesh Raghani, uh, the cricket... I'd love to get your thoughts, double eight, double three. Um, if you've got a question for Nikesh, we'll uh, might ask him after 12, and we'll talk some tennis with Simon Cambus. We'll do that. Your calls, your texts, coming up after 12. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back, NSENZ. Just gone midday. Sam Hewitt sitting in for Smithy and Staffy through until 2 o'clock and then the run home with uh, Mitch and Manaya from 2 until 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, I should say, not 6 a'clock. Um, I'm not sure um, what the show's going to be like. We'll find out later on, but um, hopefully they'll have someone from... Uh, our show but they might bring it to you as well as the Black Ferns facing off against Australia this afternoon and um, that kicks off at 2.45 so they'll bring you a, um, a bit of coverage of that 
I am sure. Um, the Strokes by Joey Bell to uh, kick us off. Uh, kick us off after twelve. If you're driving, drive safe. The roads are a little bit slippery today, and uh, a lot of people coming back from Queen's birthday. But um, Joey, a bit of the Strokes. That's uh, your bread and butter, isn't it? My favourite band of all time. Yeah. yeah. Can't tell you why. Why? Actually. Have you seen them live? No, I haven't. I haven't really seen any bands live. Really? You've never been to a live gig? Like, not really. Like, I've seen DJs live. Like a few. I've gone to um, RMV. You know. But, like, RV isn't really about the music anymore. It's just about putting DJs and, and duffing. Right, I thought you were going to say it's about something else. <laughs> um, right, coming up between 12 and 1, we've got uh, Nikesh Rugani, who has been commentating alongside our brilliant commentating uh, crew over in England, the Test Series between England and New Zealand. Um, unfortunately, New Zealand losing this morning uh, by five wickets. England winning, um, chasing down 277. Joe Root finished on 115 not out. Um, alongside Ben Folks, 32. Ben Stokes um, finished on 54 but before being caught by Blundell, bowled by Jameson. Um, what's quite interesting is in the second innings, the New Zealand bowlers really didn't test England um, quite so much. Jameson ended with four wickets, but Trent, uh, Trent Bolt and Tim Southey, just one wicket between them of 27 overs, um, and between them they went for 160 runs. Um, so very, very interesting. If you have any thoughts on the cricket, if you stayed up late um, or, you know, you've got any concerns heading into test number two, uh, give us a text on double eight double three, or give me a call on 0800-150-811. Um, but we're going to talk to Nikesh Ragani. As I said, he's a commentator for our SENZ crew over in England, and he joins us on the line now. Uh, welcome into the show, Nikesh. Thank you very much. Yeah, great to be here. How do you assess uh, that game in the end? I think uh, a few people would have been surprised that it actually went four days in the end, given what we saw in the first innings. What did you make of it, Nikesh? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, given the way the first two innings went, or, or even the first day, indeed, there was 17 wickets falling. We all thought two-day test match coming up. Uh, the fact that it, it went into a fourth day, only just, um, but was, was testament to, I suppose, the, the second innings efforts from both teams, uh, New Zealand first and foremost with that partnership between Daryl Mitchell and, and Tom Brundle in the second innings, we always knew that the pitch was too good for, for at least, we're going to see at least one big partnership in each innings uh, for each team. And uh, that, that is exactly what we got in the second innings from both sides. Um, so yeah, New Zealand setting it up nicely, but then losing all those wickets uh, in a bit of a hurry uh, once those two uh, sort of got out early on the third day. So uh, yeah, it was a seesaw affair, but 277, really tough total for anybody in any situation, in any test match around the world, really, let alone England with all their batting woes over the last 18 months, 24 months or so. So much reliance on somebody like a Joe Root and, uh, you know, New Zealand made those four early inroads, didn't they? And then those couple of partnerships with uh, Stokes and Root and then Root and Folks at the end just taking the game away. But it could have gone either way. And uh, New Zealand would have fancied their chances going into the fourth day because the conditions would have suited uh, sing, swing and seam bowling. Although it was an old ball, you do see when there's that amount of cloud cover at Laws, the floodlights are on as well. It just does usually nip about a bit. It didn't really happen for New Zealand's bowlers first thing on uh, day four and uh, that's the reason that England were, were able to 
to get through to their targets. And uh, yeah, what an innings from Joe Root to take them home. Mm. Yeah, it really was a, a tale of two innings, Nikesh, for, for lack of a better term. And I guess in the first innings, um, it was almost uh, batting optional um, at times and, and certainly not what we've come to expect from Test Match Cricket. The second innings a little bit better. We saw some big partnerships and a couple of big scores. What do you put the difference or the change between the two innings down to? Is it just the fact that these teams haven't had test experience over the last couple of months and potentially they were finding their way through that first innings and warming up? Or did the pitch change uh, drastically throughout the game? What do you put the differences between the first and second innings for both teams down to? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head, really, with lack of preparation from both sides, um, you know, particularly New Zealand, a couple of key players coming over from the IPL. So having played a lot of T20 cricket, having been involved in bio bubbles over in India and the intensity of, of all that brings over there with the IPL and then to come into test cricket, a uh, completely different game, you know, jet lag, all those things would have come into it. Uh, and England as well, you know, lack of preparation, lack of form really from England over the, the, the last period of time, their last couple of series have been disastrous um, down under in Australia with the Ashes. And then things didn't exactly go to plan in the West Indies either. So, yeah, just just easing into this test series, I suppose, because there was nothing really in the pitch on days one and two. It looked a good batting surface. It wasn't anywhere near as green as we've seen some of the Lords pitches over the last few years. And even if there is a tinge of green at Lords, it tends to still be win the toss, bat first. So I think Kane Williamson made a great decision to win the toss, have a bat first, get through the first hour where the Duke's ball will swing around a little bit and then build a big first innings. It didn't quite happen. And it was a mixture of some good bowling in the first innings from both sides, but they just kind of put it on the spot. It nibbled about a little bit. There wasn't any extravagant movement, anything drastic happening with the conditions out there. It was just a little bit of poor batting and, more so poor judgment outside the off stump. We saw quite a lot of batters poking their bat outside the off stump, playing at deliveries they don't need to play at. And again, some of that comes with the, the, the lack of preparation, the lack of test cricket coming into this, the lack of four-day cricket for a lot of these players coming into it as well and playing against the Duke's ball. Just that discipline of, of leaving outside the off stump and both sides were a lot better at that in the second inning. Just that discipline, knowing when to leave the ball, when to play the ball, and that's the reason we saw the scores go up uh, in the second innings because, you know, usually the pitch deteriorates, doesn't it? We see scores going lower down as we get through the match, but it was actually the opposite. And I think that's just because of the mindset of the batters completely changed. And yeah, I suppose that the turning point of the match really was New Zealand losing those flurry of wickets at the end of that second innings, which allowed England back, back into the match. And then uh, New Zealand's bowlers this morning uh, on day four, just not able to quite find enough nip and, and movement with the older ball and they didn't eventually even get through to uh, taking that second new ball. England had already reached the target. So uh, just those two little periods in the game, I think, cost New Zealand, but they will take a lot of heart from, from the way they performed. They went toe-to-toe with England despite the lack of preparation, despite players coming in late from the IPL. So I think going into Trent Bridge and Headingley as well, New Zealand will take a lot of positives there. New Zealand's bowling lineup um, of Jameson, Southey, and Bolt. I mean, by all measures, that is one of the best bowling attacks in the world. Going up against uh, obviously Anderson and Broad on the England side, and they were lethal as well. It's it's sort of uh, well, it's shocking to think that they those two weren't together in the West Indies. But uh, Southey and Bolt only picked up one wicket uh, in that second innings. Uh, Jameson getting four of the other five. 
are the New Zealand bowlers, Southie and Bolt in particular, a little bit guilty of not testing the England batters enough in that second innings? Yeah, I suppose there's there's a little bit of a, a mixture of things. Um, we, we saw in the England first innings, actually, that New Zealand didn't really get the ball going early on. Then they had a change of ball, didn't they? There was a lot of that during the test match from both sides, actually. They're unhappy with the first ball that you know that they would have chosen. There's a box of balls and usually your senior bowler or your two most senior bowlers go and select the balls that are going to be used for each innings. But they weren't happy with how it was coming out, both sides. And once New Zealand had that change of ball when they were bowling in England's first innings, all of a sudden, towards the end of the day, it just started nipping around and, and they were getting all sorts of extravagant movement. So they did try that again in England's second innings, but the ball, the umpires have those testing rings, don't they? The ball was going in and out quite comfortably, so they didn't get that change of ball. And, you know, it, little things like that sometimes can psychologically damage a bowler when they think it's not quite doing what they would like it to do. They all of a sudden, you know, they, they might psychologically blame the ball, blame the tools that they've got with them. And it, it could have been a psychological thing. It could have been, I mean, Trent Bolt played in the IPL final on Sunday last week. So he had literally, he arrived in England on Monday, had to play in a test match on Thursday. I mean, the jet lag, the fatigue of playing through a whole season of IPL, which is, by the way, mm. two months of intense T20 cricket. Rajasthan made it all the way to the final as well. So very difficult for the leader of your bowling attack to come in and all of a sudden just perform in a completely different format that he hasn't been playing for, for quite some time. So he will he will get into it. He'll have a few days off now, put his feet up ahead of Trent Bridge, um, have a couple of days of practice, a couple of afternoons of practice before that second test, and, and hopefully he will be all guns firing. Saudi, I think he was quite disciplined. I suppose the only thing from a New Zealand point of view on day four which they didn't do enough of. If the ball wasn't swinging when they were pitching it up, try something different. Dig it in short, put three men out on the hook, test Joe Root and particularly Ben Folks. And if they're good enough to hook the ball or, or duck underneath the ball and they have that patience to get through to that second new ball, then so be it. But you've got to try something different. And that's perhaps what they didn't do. And they didn't have somebody like a Wagner, did they, yeah. in this side? And Wagner gives you that other dimension with the short pitch bowling into the body, difficult to get away. And the three guys on show today, they were guilty of just pitching the ball up. And even when they saw it wasn't swinging, they kept putting it on that full length. And we saw some beautiful drives, didn't we, on day four from Ben Folks and Joe Root down the ground. Just gorgeous shots, but genuine half volleys. And they were just feeding them those half volleys, looking for that magic swinging delivery, which ultimately wasn't there. Yeah, it would have been hard to criticise, I guess, that, that selection of Wagner in the first innings, given how well they bowled. But yeah, in that second innings in particular, it really seemed like they missed just uh, just a little bit of something different. Um, ben Stokes, uh, his first test, his captain's first test win, you can't, uh, you can't scoff at that. But were you impressed, I guess, with how he handled uh, himself as captain? Were there decisions that he made that you sort of looked at and said, you know what, this guy is the, is the future of England cricket? I think it's... Difficult to tell at the moment. I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get with Ben Stokes. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He plays cricket in a positive fashion. He's got the fans on his side. So many great memories for him as a player in England shirt, in both white ball cricket and in test cricket as well. So he's, he's an absolute cult hero. It's difficult to tell. I mean, on the field, you could quite clearly see that Joe Root, that there is no official England vice captain for this series, but Joe Root, if, if something happened to Ben Stokes, if he stepped on a ball, he went over his ankle, Joe Root would take over. 
the captaincy uh, in that situation. So he's not the official vice captain, but you could see Root advising Stokes every now and again with field setting changes and things like that. So he'll he'll ease into the role. But I suppose the one thing you can take away is that last summer, New Zealand, on the same ground, set England 270-odd to win in 75 overs, and England didn't even bother trying to chase that down. Even from ball one, they were all set, trying to play out for that draw. This is a completely different mindset. England, you know, given the conditions, uh, slightly gloomy over the weekend, certainly in the day four, um, you know, as you mentioned, the fact that they crumbled in the first innings, England, but they were positive. That intent was there from ball one. And they thought, first and foremost, we're going to play our normal game, but see if we can get somewhere within striking distance. And then if we can't, if we lose too many wickets early on, if we can't build partnerships, they would probably have shut up shop at some point if they lost a couple of wickets uh, at some point. And, you know, I, I know it's difficult to shut up shop when you've got so much time left in the game. It's so much bad weather forecast as well. For the rest of uh, day four and into day five, there was lots of rain forecast. So quite conceivably, they could have done that at some point, but they were always in the game. They were always showed that positive intent from ball one. And I think that might be the difference with this England side going forward, not only with Ben Stokes as captain, but with, of course, Baz McCullum as the head coach. Yeah, and I want to talk about Baz. I know it is early days, and, and you know we don't want to jump on it too early, But and he's probably only been over in England for the best part of two weeks. But, you know, there probably was a little bit of trepidation from, you know, England fans and pundits. You know, Baz had never coached a test team before an international side, um, given that England's woes at the top of the order and they've got a new captain. So, you know, there was a little bit of nerves, I guess, with that appointment. Do you think this might just go a little bit of a way to calming those fears for England? cricket fans yeah well I mean look one test one win that's that's a way to win over the fans isn't it both as a head coach and as a captain so yeah. it's, it's gone brilliantly well in his uh, first test uh, so far but there, there will be bigger tests to come um, there, there's, there's a big summer ahead of course with the next uh, couple of tests against New Zealand then India come over to play that test match uh, which was postponed at the back end of last year and then South Africa so it's going to be a long old summer of test cricket for England and there's going to be plenty of twists and turns They, you know they've had their injury problems in recent times particularly with fast bowlers we talked about Broad and Anderson how much of the summer are they going to be available for you know they're, they're not getting any younger mm. they're not perhaps going to be able to play every single test as well so there will be challenges and uh, you know we'll, we'll wait and see how they overcome them in terms of selection in terms of tactics uh, against particular opposition and, and things like that. But at the moment, it seems as though, look, he's saying all the right things. There's a lot of positivity around English cricket at the moment. There were good crowds for the first couple of days, certainly at Lords, uh, despite, you know, a little bit of speculation that there were some, quite a few unsold seats uh, for the last couple of days of the test. Well, obviously, it didn't, didn't go that far anyway, did it? I suppose just England fans fearing the worst and, <laughs> and holding off until the last minute and not buying their tickets in advance just in case they get beaten inside two or three days. But, you know, there, there is a genuine air of positivity around England cricket fans at the moment. They're happy with this. Um, they're happy with the, the captain, the coach. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see if, if that remains the case for the rest of the summer. But so far, so good. Yeah, and we've got a uh, another test beginning on Friday at Trent Bridge. Just finally, Nikesh, what do you expect? Uh, what does Trent Bridge offer up? Are we going to see any potential lineup changes? Obviously, Colin de Gronholm's not going to be there uh, for New Zealand. But uh, are you predicting any other changes uh, for the two teams? And what do you expect come uh, come Friday? 
Well, it's it's not particularly a spin-friendly wicket. So Ajaz Patel, poor old Ajaz Patel, who took a tenfer in his last test before this one at Lords in India. Very different conditions, of course. Uh, you know, wasn't really in the game this time, and I don't think he's going to be really of any use to New Zealand uh, at Trent Bridge, given the conditions, given the weather conditions as well, leading up to that second test as well. A lot of wet weather around, and it's quite warm and wet, if you see what I mean. So humid conditions, perfect. The swing bowling, you, you've just got to look at the records of Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson at Trent Bridge to know that it is that type of bowling which is successful at Trent Bridge uh, throughout an entire test. E- even if the weather was a bit warmer and drier, you'd go with Seam all day long. You might have the spin option for maybe the second innings, but given the weather conditions as well, I, I think Ajaz Patel uh, might have to miss out on that one. Uh, as far as England are concerned, will they play the spinner? Jack Leach, of course, was injured in this test with a concussion, had to miss the rest of the test match. Matt Parkinson came in as a substitute. Bowled okay. I mean, it was difficult for him, the circumstances uh, that led to his call-up and, and the drive down from Manchester to, to Lords on uh, on the Thursday uh, afternoon after he'd been in T20 action for his county. So I don't know whether Parkinson will play. If Parkinson doesn't, it's going to be uh, another selection headache, I suppose, for England because they've gone with Matty Potts, who had a decent debut. But then all these fast bowlers, all these sort of fast-medium bowlers, swing bowlers up and down the country just keep getting injured time and time again. They've got a massive injury list. Uh, everyone's on the physio bench at the moment. And uh, who do they call up if they don't play Matt Parkinson? So they might be forced to play Parkinson. And he is a wrist spinner. Um, so, you know, can sort of, you know, more useful than a finger spinner in conditions that aren't quite so helpful. So so they may well stick with Parkinson uh, and make it well go with the same side. It's it's difficult, isn't it, to change a winning side. Um so yeah, they'll 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 potentially go with the same side, but I think I just Patel might just miss out for New Zealand. Mm, yeah, well, we look forward to it on Friday. And we also look forward to the commentary, uh, Nikesh, with you alongside uh, Jerry Coney, Daniel Norcross, Craig Millen, Adam Collins, and more. It's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, on our airwaves over the last uh, four days. It will be at late at night, but there's nothing better than lying in bed having the test cricket on the radio beside you. Nikesh, uh, thanks heaps for coming on. Uh, so late for us over in the UK, and uh, we look forward to uh, Friday at Trent Bridge. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Nikesh uh, Rugani there out of our commentary team and uh, just a text that's coming from Jared uh, while we were chatting. Hey Sam, turning point for me was after Blundell and Mitchell resurrecting our winnings to Gronholm, getting out first ball, putting enormous pressure on Jameson next. Then to Gronholm, no balling Stokes when we had them on the ropes and Stokes piled on the runs. Got to wonder why uh, we didn't have Wagner and Patel hardly bowled. Um, yeah, great thoughts, Jared. I think um, De Gronholm just had a just had a horror third day, didn't he? With that, uh, with the way he got out, being out of the crease, and then uh, and then the no ball to Stokes that everyone's talking about. Now he's injured. Um, what's interesting for me is probably more the Wagner selection. Um, you know, whenever Wagner's left out, questions do sort of get asked, and I think you know. Uh, in fairness to Gary Stead and Kane Williamson, the first innings proved that maybe they might made the right call. Um, clearly, the, uh, the um, wicket was friendly for um, Jamison Bolton Southey, but I think what we lacked in that second innings was just something different. Um, as Nik- Nikesh said there, we were just bowling line and length, hoping for something to come off, but it was just a bit too easy for England. So that's where you want a Wagner to just come in and put it in short and hurry them up, and they wouldn't have been able to bat out two and a half days. 
I don't think they would have been able to do that. So if we'd been able to just, I guess, put a bit more pressure on them, um, we might have picked up the wickets that we needed. Um, if you've got any other thoughts on the cricket, give us a text on double eight double three, the temper bed post text machine, or give us a call 0800-150-811. Um, just after the match, um, Kane Williamson um, spoke with media. Here's what he had to say. Uh, Kane, thanks for joining SENZ. How do you reflect on that test match? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh fantastic game obviously a bit frustrating to be on the the wrong side of the result well what with what we wanted but look England played really really well and um you know it was a a tight sort of scrap really um the whole match that ebbed and flowed and it could have gone either way and um you know we certainly came here this morning with high expectations and thought we'd perhaps get some assistance with um with the surroundings but um it wasn't to be and you know it was a, a lot of effort um from the guys but yeah sometimes that's the way it goes that big partnership, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Blundell, I mean, it looked like winning the game. Did you feel at that stage it was your game to lose? Oh, I mean, it was a, an unbelievable partnership and really got us uh, in, the, in the box seat. Um, I think we saw uh, how, you know, the, the newer ball, the harder ball was, um, was clearly the biggest threat throughout the whole match. And, and if you could get past it, um, then, you know, there were times where it was quite difficult to get wickets. And I think we saw that in this innings and also in our innings. And, um, and so... Yeah, it was really, um, it was a game within a game a little bit and it was just trying to get through some of those periods and, and the contributions from both those two were were, um, were amazing for us and, and probably put us um, ahead of the game really with needing 280 in, in the last innings and um, we got off to a pretty good start with the ball and um, and then we saw, you know, a, an amazing innings from, from Joe Root and, and obviously contributions from, from others throughout that they got them across the line there which, um, yeah, which was frustrating for us we, we thought if we could inch one more out then we have the lower order in and, and things can happen quickly but wasn't to be what have you learned from this game looking ahead to the quick turnaround for Trent Bridge yeah um yeah I think one thing will be that it'll be a little bit different again so um we'll we'll take some uh learnings um from that uh and, and look to assess conditions that are in front of us but you know whenever you come here you do have to make those adjustments and guys will be reflecting on that and just a word finally on Joe Root. It's a remarkable achievement. A very exclusive club. He's joined 10,000 test runs. Yeah, um, you know, a, a special, special player. And um, to do that for, for such a long period of time at the quality um, that he seems to bring day in, day out, um, is, is an incredible achievement. And like you mentioned, it's a very exclusive club um, with some of the finest names in the, the history of our game. Well, only only the finest names that are, that are in there and, and he's one of them which um, you know was absolutely the case so um, it was a, a very special moment for him and, and, and for everybody else here and, and, even, and for us as well you know to, to, to see that and, and see that achievement okay, Many thanks, go well next week, thank cheers, you. thank you There you go, Kane Williamson talking with SNZR following the test match finishing this morning. Uh, I can let you know as well, the NBA Finals, Game 2 is underway in Golden State. Boston leading the series 1-0 and they are leading in the first quarter 16-13. Five and a half minutes to play left in the first. I'll keep you updated on that throughout the day. Uh, We'll take a short break. We might hear from Ben Stokes on the other side, um, but we'll take a short break, get some headlines, uh, and then we'll talk tennis after 12.30. Back after this. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back into SENZ. Sam Hewitt sitting in for Smithy and Staffy through and 
till 2 o'clock and then the run home with Mitch and Manaya. Um, Craig's just sent a text in here. Poor batting effort from the Kiwis following Mitchell Bundle partnership. Definitely the turning point. 300 plus to chase would have made life very difficult for the Poms. I agree, Craig, and I think if Colin de Gromholm uh, hadn't gotten out so easily, even an extra year, 30 or 40 runs, um, when you're chasing over 300 mentally, is a lot tougher to do than uh, what they had to chase down given how much time they had. Uh, Joey, you got some uh, headlines for us? I do. Right now, the NBA playoffs are on right now in the finals. Um, Boston is ahead 22 to 15. Uh, Jalen Brown's got 11 points. Let's He's go Celts. scoring well. Let's go Celts. Uh, and also, in other NBA news, Utah Jazz coach Quinn Snyder has resigned after eight seasons with the franchise. The Jazz have been so close, but have yet to make the finals uh, under his reign, or w- never did. And um, he underwent hip surgery after the season, and so it, it's mostly due to his health. Oh, okay. Uh, and we see this earlier in the show, but Wales has made the um, FIFA World Cup after downing Ukraine and Cardiff earlier this morning, 1-0. Unfortunately, it was an own goal from Ukraine, which was is a it? bit... Didn't know that. Yeah, a bit devastating uh, for the team. But good first, news... First time they've been to the World Cup since 1958. Yes, 1958. So, uh, Crazy. And, um, there were 2,000 uh, Ukraine supporters in the stands for uh, Cardiff, and it was real emotional scenes afterwards. It was a, it was a great story, Ukraine, uh, making it as far as they did. Um, unfortunately, not to go all the way. But, um, yeah, Wales, first time since 1958. That's good. I'm looking forward to the World Cup, even though it's in Qatar and it's at the end of the year, but that's okay. Um, you'll still get to see some good quality football. Um, and let's hope New Zealand get there, playing Costa Rica next Wednesday morning, the big one. Uh, they lost this morning 1-0 to Peru. A bit of a goalkeeper blunder from Ollie Sale uh, is what cost them. Um, I know the run-home guys are going to be chatting uh, some more whites football later on in the show. The Black Ferns kick off at 2.45 as well against Australia. We'll keep you updated on that throughout the day. Um, we're going to take a short break, though, because we're going to catch up with Simon Cambers out of the UK. He's a much-respected tennis writer and commentator. He's going to talk through Rafa's 14th French Open win um, and what's next for the Spaniard. We'll catch up with Simon after this. Voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back in, 25 minutes away from one here and a very special privilege to welcome into the show Simon Cambers. He is a tennis writer for The Guardian for ESPN, The New York Times. He's also a commentator on radio, Roland Garros. He's been on the ground for the last few weeks and uh, he joins us on the show to talk about Rafa Nadal's 14th French Open win and his 22nd major title. Simon, uh, welcome into the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Rafael Nadal, um, I don't quite know where to start with him uh, at 36 years of age. Simon, I feel like I've exhausted all the superlatives over the years. He's got his 14th French Open title, his 22nd major title. He, of course, won in Australia back in January. But where does this one rank for you, Simon, on uh, Nadal's long list of, uh, of major achievements? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be right up there with his most uh, impressive wins overall. I mean, not just the final, but if you think beating Djokovic in the quarterfinals, beating Sverev, who unluckily got injured, but, you know, just the way he survived against Felix Auger-Aliassime in the fourth round, he's 36. You know, he's not supposed to be doing this kind of thing. He, he's the oldest champion ever in the open era now uh, on the men's side. So, yeah, and given what he was dealing with, with the pain in his foot, I think it has to go down as one of his best achievements ever. Tell us a little bit about the foot injury, Simon. I was reading a lot about it throughout the the tournament, and and I heard that he had had a number of injections and sort of pain medication to to cope. But what exactly was going on with it, and what was he battling through? 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's been dealing with pain in his left foot since 2005, or late 2004, actually. It almost ended his career before it had begun. Um, and he, I mean, clearly he's got a very high pain threshold to deal with this all, all the way through his life. He takes all sorts of um, uh, anti-inflammatories quite often when it flares up. It flared up in Rome to the point where he was really obviously in pain. Um, so he arrived in Paris. Ron Garros means more than any other tournament to him. So he decided, OK, I've got to do it. So he had injections in his foot every day, basically little steroid shots that numbed the pain. So he, he couldn't feel a thing. Um, and he didn't know whether you know, that, that was actually a good thing or a bad thing, because obviously when you, you don't know what damage you're doing to, your, to whatever you've had the injection in as you're playing a match. But he was in real trouble, he said, after his win over Corentin Mute earlier in the tournament. He was struggling to walk. So he had injections before every match, which shows you what he was willing to do. But it also shows you, you know, the incredible mental strength that he's got to get through that because he played brilliantly against Djokovic. He played great at times in the semi-final and in the final he was never going to lose. Mm. He is 36 years of age, and I mean, it's it's even remarkable that he's made 14 grand, uh, French Open finals, let alone won 14 titles. Has there been any change to his game to adjust to the age and the pain, or are we still seeing the, the same Nadal-type tennis that we saw, you know, 10 years ago? I think he's largely playing the same way. There are definitely some subtle tweaks. You know, he comes forward more, he comes to the net a lot more. Um, he's very, very good at the net, the accomplished foliar. Um, I don't think he likes to get involved in those mammoth rallies. I and mean, having said that, he had a 44 shot one against Ferrer. Um, but he, in general, his backhand is better than it used to be. It's flatter. He's more aggressive, if that's possible. Um, but he, he still retains that mindset where he's just not going to be beaten. He's going to try his hardest on every single point. And, you know, as I said, given that pain, it's, it's remarkable that he's, as you said, been able to get to 14 finals, but let alone that, just play 14 Roland Garros. I mean, who's done that? Yeah. Not that many players. Uh, and he's won 14, and now he's won 22 Grand Slams. Now he's halfway to the, the calendar year Grand Slam. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I want to talk to you about those uh, final two in just a moment. Let, let's just quickly talk about Kasper Ruud, his opponent in the final, the Norwegian who I believe is the first Norwegian uh, to make a Grand Slam tennis singles final. Um, he had a great tournament um, finding his way through uh, to the final, but unfortunately just another young tennis star to fall victim to uh, one of the big three. What can you uh, tell us about Kasper Ruud's tournament and, and his efforts in the final against Nadal? Yeah, I mean, there, there is actually, uh, we found out this week, there was a, a Norwegian woman who um, made Grand Slam finals back in the 20s, 1920s. But wow. um, in terms of open era, certainly on the men's side, Casper um, Ruud stands head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, you can look at it two ways. In, in one way, you know, he's 23, he's reached his grand, first Grand Slam final. He's a very, very solid clay court player. He's a great mover, big forehand, good serve, um, knows exactly what he's doing. He won five titles on clay last year. He's won two already this year. So he was, if anyone's going to come through from the sort of unfavoured players, it was going to be him. He didn't have to beat anyone spectacular to get to the final. And if you look at Nadal, he actually ended up beating four top 10 players mm-hmm. to win the title. It's only the third time that's ever happened in the open era. Um, and yet, Kasparu, I don't think he played anyone inside the top 10 until Nadal. So, yes, maybe some of those matches he should have won. But it's a fantastic breakthrough achievement for him. He's a really nice young guy. He's got a lot of drive. Um, I think he's got a great game. He also described himself as, you know, the latest victim of Nadal at Roland Garros. 
So he's got a sense of humour too. I think he'll be around for quite a long time. Yeah, I'm not sure he has the weapons to, to win a slam yet, but maybe he can add those. I just want to have a quick look at the women's side of the draw. That finished up yesterday. Iga Swiatek, who, uh, the Polish star, who picked up a pretty easy French Open final in straight sets against Coco Goff, the American. It is uh, Swiatek's 35th consecutive win, which ties her for Venus Williams. Um, she just absolutely breezed through this French Open. A, a pretty remarkable and incredible victory for her. Yeah, she did. I mean, Iga Swiatek, she won the French Open two years ago, of course, but it was very much out of the blue, that one. It was in the middle of COVID. It was October. You know, there are a lot of reasons why something strange happened that year. But, you know, she was a very, very good junior. She was tipped to be a great player. But since the retirement of Ash Barty uh, in March, she's just taken over that number one spot and really sort of grasped the mantle of, of being the top player in the world. She just looked totally unstoppable. She's got incredible self-belief she works with a famously works with a sports psychologist who's very available to the media so we know a lot about what she does behind the scenes but on the court she just she looked like she never ever believed she wasn't going to just win that tournament she just breezed through it as you said there was a moment in the final against Coco Goff when Goff uh, broke serve early in the second set um, but she didn't get flustered she just gathered herself together again and stepped up another level it was incredibly impressive She's got two slams. She's only just 21. Uh, I think she's going to go on to win many, many more grand slams. She's in. She's come into women's tennis at a time when it's there for the taking. Someone can grasp it, and she could be the one. Uh, yeah, and pretty cool to have uh, Polish football star Robert Lewandowski in the crowd supporting her as well. Uh, the, her opponent, Coco Goff, uh, she's been somewhat unlucky, I guess, to not make it past uh, the semi or quarterfinals into a semi or a final at a major Grand Slam. She's made her first here at the French Open, uh, ranked 18th going in. Is this a bit of a breakout moment for Coco Goff, a bit of a coming of age for her? Yeah, it's a huge breakthrough. I mean, before this, she'd only made a quarterfinal at a slam. But I mean, you know, I, I sort of, I cringe a little bit when I hear, you know, she's never made a Grand Slam final or she's never got to the back end of a tournament. You know, she's 18. This mm. is a girl who's just come through. It's, it's because she arrived on the scenes at Wimbledon when she was 15 that everyone expected her to suddenly go and win Grand Slams the year after, which really is totally unrealistic. We were still talking about a period where Serena Williams was there, where other great players were around. Ash Barty was winning Grand Slams. It's very hard to break through. So what Coco Goff did this week uh, these last two weeks was excellent, was exceptional. I think clay may prove to be her best surface. She moves really well. She's a really interesting, mature young woman who has a lot to say on a lot of issues um, and is not afraid to say them. And it, it's just great to see someone playing with freedom and speaking with freedom too from a journalistic point of view. I think she's going to be a breath of fresh air at the top of the women's game for many years to come. Simon Campbell's a well-respected tennis writer and commentator joining us here on SENZ. Simon, I want to uh, talk about uh, the media. Um, one thing I've always loved about tennis is how open uh, the players are to the media and journalists and the access that you guys get to coaches and trainers and people involved with the game, which always helps to uh, show a bit of insight into who these people are, these stars are. They've always got amazing backstories, and um, we often see some some crazy sort of uh, tales of where they've come from during Grand Slams and majors. But I saw a couple of tweets and a couple of stories around how this year the French Open have really limited the access to the media, and it's meant that you haven't been able to to talk to the players and the coaches as much behind the scenes. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on and, and why they've made that decision. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's something that actually Roland Garros has been the best of the four Grand Slams in terms of allowing journalists access into the areas where coaches come off court 
straight away afterwards. So when you want, like today, for example, we would have normally been able to just pop into the area, which is very close to the press room, where the players and the coaches come off court, and we would have spoken to Carlos Moya straight away. All the coaches know we're there, and it's only we're talking about a handful of journalists who have the time or inclination to do that, but we're able to do it. And it's been a really great thing. It adds to the, your reporting. It's the reason we're there. You know, anyone can write a story off, off TV or radio, but you, it's never going to be as good as if you don't have a chance to speak to the people around them and find out what the players are going through, what's happening behind the scenes. This year, Amelie Moresmo, the new tournament director, of course, former world number one, big French star, um, wanted to do something for the players, partly in the wake of Naomi Osaka's problems with the press last year. Mm. Um, but of course, were really mental health problems herself. Um, and she decided to create, a, well, to make the area where we normally accessed the coaches be a, a totally player-only area. Um, so the players can just do what they want. It's connected to the restaurant and the cafe, which we never frequented anyway. We were just literally in there for five minutes. But it would make a massive difference to our job. And we've not been able to do that this year. It's been a real bone of contention amongst especially the senior journalists who know what we're doing and we know what we're trying to do. And we also, you know, we're the ones who the, co the coaches know. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be very, very difficult if Ronald Gauss don't fix this next year for younger journalists, for example, to build up a rapport or relationship with any of the people around the players um, and to tell their stories better. And the reason this is important, is not just about us, you know, having a nice time talking to coaches or being able to do our job better. It's also about the players. Players get a lot of money, get paid a lot of money in tennis because we tell their stories for them. Mm. They're known to us. If we're not able to do that, and they're sort of these unknown players who just win big matches, you're going to get very, very boring stories written. And they, the sponsorships will not be quite as lucrative as they've come to, come to enjoy. And I don't think players know that. Billie Jean King, who absolutely understands the media, said yesterday, you know, do players ever sit and think, uh, I wonder if that journalist, you know, I realise they're trying to make, they make a living, do their job properly, let me give some time to them. I don't think they do. There needs to be a, a lot of education on this subject. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. And I think we see it down here in New Zealand as well with some of our rugby players. You know, I think I think the new generation really treats the media like a chore uh, rather than an opportunity. You know, they are a brand and of themselves and uh, they have a, an ability to um, put themselves out there for sponsors and, and to build their, I guess, their star power. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Naomi Osaka because I thought that might have been where this all came from. Is there any suspicion that this might continue into other major tournaments and other tennis tournaments? Well, we luckily we get to speak to all the Grand Slams about this sort of stuff. And Wimbledon have uh, an area where all the play, all the coaches go to afterwards, which is a little sort of lawn area, and the and the media are allowed to access that. So, as far as I know, that's going to remain, um, and we will keep talking to all the Grand Slams about it. But we, you know, we're not the enemy. The journalists are not the enemy. We're often portrayed that way on social media sometimes by the these some of the crazy fans who, you know, only see things with one eye, but. You know, there's a, there's a lot that goes on into making players the superstars they are. And they can have all the social media they want to tell their story in their way. But that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, it's a two-way street. If Billie Jean King had not worked with the press in the first place and, and everyone had helped them to explain who they were and how good they were, there would never have been a tour. No, not at all. Uh, just finally, Simon, uh, back to Rafa Nadal. Uh, he, he's won the Australian. He's won the French, the two first Grand Slams to start uh, the year. Can he do it? Can he do the calendar Grand Slam? Can he pick up Wimbledon in the US Open? What do you think? Oh, it'd be, I mean, it'd be incredible, wouldn't it? I, I mean, I'd love to think it's possible. It's all going to be about his foot. He says he's going to have um, some treatment next week to try and permanently 
uh, basically numb the nerve, uh, burn the nerve, I think. Um, so it would allow him to play pain-free for a, a few years. So if that happens, then he'll be at Wimbledon. If he's at Wimbledon, he's got a big chance. Um, I think Djokovic is going to look to bounce back there after not performing as well as he would have liked to. It'll be difficult for Nadal, but it's not impossible. And if he is to win Wimbledon, well, you know, what a, what a US Open that would set up, just like Djokovic had last year. Yeah, it would just be remarkable. Not unbelievable, because it's Rafa Nadal, and uh, he's surprised me many times uh, before. Uh, Simon, thanks heaps for coming on our show down here in SCNZ. It's been great uh, having you on. It's been an awesome tournament, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again in the future sometime. Thanks heaps for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. Simon Campbell's there out of uh, the UK talking French Open. Um, we'd love to hear what you think on uh, on Rafa Nadal. Double eight double three, or give us a call 0800 Um where do you put Nadal when you're talking about, um, you know, the greatest next to Federer and Djokovic? And Joey made a good point of, you know, he's won 22 Grand Slams, but 14 of them have been on one court. Does that diminish him in any way or does it actually, you know, um, elevate him given that he's just so dominant at one place? Um, he's got to be, I mean, obviously he is up there. I mean, 22 is the most won by men's uh, singles player. Um Personally, I'm a big Federer fan, but uh, would love to know your thoughts and uh, whether or not you think he can do the the calendar Grand Slam, Wimbledon and the US Open later in the year. Uh, Boston leading Golden State 33-31, just two minutes into the second quarter. We'll keep you updated on that. But uh, for now, we'll be back uh, right after a break. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Franz Ferdinand, Joey, one of my favourite bands. Love it. Love it. Well done. Good selection. Yeah, well, it reminds me of The Race. This is the theme song for The Race that really, really hyped up and we played after we won in Cambridge. Nice. So I just remember... You mean as in it was zoo. used in the promos and stuff or it was Pro- used down there? You, you used in the promos but after we won, we just like hammered the song That's throughout. Right. Yeah, and yeah. We play, we're playing it all night. Crank it back up. Imagine Mickey G dancing to it, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I can imagine Kempi grooving along. Good stuff, Joey. Uh, coming up between uh, one and two before we hand over to the run home crew, we're going to talk with Maddie White across the ditch very shortly. Ten past one. Um, we're going to play What Happens Next to. Uh, I've got a bit of audio we might play you back to. We hear from uh, Ben Stokes out of England after their win this morning against the Black Caps and Daryl Mitchell. After scoring a century at Lords, go up on the honours board, which is pretty cool. And uh, Rafa on his injury. Some very interesting comments from Rafa. But uh, if you want to have your say, double eight, double three, the Timber Bed Post text machine, or give us a call, 0800 150 811, just like my good mate, Zaid, who's called in. Zaid, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, all good. Um, was a little bit disappointed last night about the Black Cap result. Um, as we did really good on um, day two, um, we, we got that big lead, um, you know, Mitchell and um, Blundell had that real good partnership, and then we come out day three and just start crumbling, 
lose about three wickets and three balls, and I think that's what lost us the game. Really, some, as simple as that, you know. The Gronto, mate, you should just not... Just go home and don't... I mean, go back to your hotel and don't even look at that dismissal. Um, <laughs> I think he would just be absolutely probably um, fight himself after that. That was oh. one of the most disgusting dismissals. Um, but, yeah, and then... The bowling yesterday, there was just no swing at all. And he just couldn't do anything. And the thing was, Root, Root has definitely won the game for England. Big hundred and um, only second ever to <clears throat> English cricketer to get 10,000 runs. And um, obviously, McCullum will be loving it. First game, a first win. Of course, it's against New Zealand as well, isn't it, Sam? Mm, mm. Um but, but that's what McCullum does, isn't it, really? Yeah. Hey, and, uh, Zaid, it's interesting, eh, because what I find with um, with New Zealand, with the Black Caps, is when uh, when the ball isn't swinging around, um, we tend, that's when we go to guys like Wagner, you know, and, and he can just toil away, he can frustrate the opposition, he can pick up his wickets, and then when we get a new ball, you bring back in Bolt, you bring back in Southie. But it just seemed like um, they didn't really have a change of game plan when they couldn't get out um, Root and for a while Stokes there. Um, it was Jameson who sort of did the business, but it seemed like uh, Bolty and Southie suffered. And maybe because, you know, they haven't had test uh, you know, test experience over the last few months and Bolt's been overplaying T20 cricket. He's not quite, uh, you know, red ball hardened. But, um, yeah, that that was very interesting. What about the uh, the Blues, Zayden, Super Rugby? You watched that over the weekend as well? Yeah, I went to the game. Yeah, it was absolute absolute beauty of the game. Didn't start off too well, but as soon as the Blues juggernaut gets going, she gets going. She does, mate. And about to retry. Barrett started to turn on the form. Two tries, you can't stop him. Michael <laughs> Banks giving AJ Lamb a gift, and the and the the try of all tries, Roger Tweeve after Shet to try in the blue jersey. Yeah, mate, it was awesome. If and uh, across the other games, uh, the Crusaders, Chiefs, Brumbies, all winning. Which of those? Uh, three teams, and you're playing the Brumbies this weekend, but which of those three teams would you be the most nervous about? Probably the Saders, eh? If, if you just look at the Saders' form and finals, eh? So, you know, they've won 12 trophies, and you just you just know what the Crusaders are going to bring. Um, they played pretty well, but for me, um, they didn't they didn't have the best first half, a lot of mistakes from the Saders. I think the Chiefs actually probably played better than the Saders, and that, that Waratahs um, team... I've watched in the last two weeks way too many mistakes the way they've been playing. Mm. And the Brumbies all season uh, have the only team to deserve, but I still think the Blues will be too strong. Um, definitely the game of the rounds, Chiefs-Crusaders. I think that's definitely going to be a close one. Um, it's what won all this year, so I know you're a Chiefs fan, so either <laughs> all, if the Blues make it in the final, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a hard game either way, Blues, if they play the Chiefs or the Crusaders. But um, I think it's going to be a good game, the Crusaders-Chiefs. Um, you never know. The Chiefs could upset the, the Crusaders. If the Chiefs get get some early points, um, you never know. And there's one last thing I wanted to ask you quickly. Yeah, mate. Is there any odds on the Is there any odds on the Black Ferns, or are they, are they not paying much? Um, I'll have a quick look for you. Um, I was just on the TAB before. Yep, there is odds uh, at the moment. Uh, New Zealand are paying a dollar eleven, and Australia six bucks. Um, so slim it is. Pickings. It's pretty slim, mate. Do they, have, do they have margins, or how does that work? Yeah, one to twelve, three dollars sixty, thirteen plus a dollar forty-two. So they think it's going to be a blowout. Um, yeah, Wayne might, Smith's first game in charge. A, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it goes, eh? Yeah, and, and I, um, 
is it Ruby Tui's first game for Correct. New Zealand? I think I heard yep, first game from switching across from sevens. Um, so she's well buoyed yep. up and ready to go. And I'll tell you what, with the, with the, Crusaders, with the Crusaders aid, uh, Brian made a really good point this morning. You know, they haven't really hit their straps just yet, but they're due, aren't they? They're due for yeah. a big game. And you'd be scared uh, if it's not this weekend against the Chiefs, but they still manage to get over them. You'd be scared that it's going to be in the final against your Blues aid. Probably, yeah. They don't like losing <laughs> many finals of Saders, do they? Mate, there's nothing more heartbreaking, I can imagine. I can only imagine there'd be nothing more heartbreaking than going through a season as a Blues fan where you've just completely dominated, only to lose to the Crusaders at the end of it all. <laughs> not not being mean, it's a lot easier <laughs> watching the Blues than the Warriors right now. Oh, no, don't bring them up, Zay. Don't bring them up. Zay, thanks for sorry, calling, mate. Sorry. Good. Good to chat. Good to chat. Xavier out of Auckland. Uh, you can give us a call 0800 any time. You can give us a text on double eight double three. We're going to cross to Matty White very, very shortly. I know he wants to talk a little bit of Warriors himself. Um, in the basketball, uh, 46-45, the, uh, the Celts lead the Golden State Warriors uh, with three minutes, 20 seconds remaining uh, in the second quarter. So we're coming up on half time. Um, just getting the box score up here. Uh, Steph Curry uh, doing the business for Golden State with 15 points. And Jason Tatum for the Celts with 19. And Jalen Brown on 13. Um, I was uh, just looking before um, trying to find the team lists for uh, the Black Ferns. Australia game this afternoon. I've got it here for you. Um, <clears throat> here's the Black Fern side. Uh, Renee Holmes, Ruby Tui, Kelsey Atenati, Chelsea Semple, uh, Aisha Litiaiga, uh, Ruahe Demont, uh, Kendra Coxedge, Kaipo Olsen Baker, Kendra Reynolds, Alana Bremner, Chelsea Bremner, uh, Mai, this is going to be hard for me, Maya Kawa Nakaloana Ruse, uh, Amy Rule, Georgia Ponsonby, Crystal Murray, then the reserves are Luca Connor, Angel Mulu, uh, Tanya Kola Nuavale, uh, Joanna Ngawu, uh, Nanwu and Tafito Lafahele, uh, Ari Hayana, Marino Tahinu and Hazel Tubik and uh, Charlie robbins Ritti. And then uh, for the Australians, I would run through the side. I feel like not many of you are going to know these names. Uh, Laurie Kramer, Mahalia Murphy, Georgina Fredericks, Pauline Palai Rasabal, uh, Avania Wong, Trilene Pomare, um, Ilasiva Bati Basaga, uh, Grace Hamilton, Shannon Perry, that's the captain, uh, Emily Chancellor, Caitlin Laney, uh, Michaela Leonard, Bridie O'Gorman, Ariana Talakai, uh, Liz Patu, and then the reserves are Ashley Masters, Madison Shook, uh, Asiova Carpani, Annabelle Cody, Piper Duck, Lane Morgan, Cecilia Smith, and Arabella McKenzie. Uh, Wayne Smith's first game in charge, kickoff at 2.45. Um, out of Tauranga. So that's going to be, yeah, I'm very interested to see how the Black Ferns bounce back after that poor Northern Tour at the end of the year. And of course, uh, Glenn Moore uh, leaving the uh, leaving the setup. Um, double eight, double three, if you want to uh, have your say. I've also, uh, I've just seen the run home boys out there as well. They're going to check, uh, chat some more whites with uh, Rick Dog. They lost 1 0 to Peru this morning in a warm up game. It's only a warm up game. Uh, Costa Rica. Is uh is is the important one is the important one um next Wednesday next Wednesday morning early in the morning um if you want to get up for that one but we're going to go uh, across the ditch now catch up with our SEN mate uh, Maddie White who I believe is on the line now. There you go.
go. There he is. We love it how it works like that. I I say I believe Sam's on the line at the same time that you say I believe Maddie's on the line. Maddie, got to give me. I'm very. Hey mate, how you doing? I I was just going to say you got to give me a um like a rating as compared to Staffy because everything today, you know, I've been uh, I've been just creating a little notebook off to the side to take to the bosses uh, just with those little victories. So how how did I do compared to Steph? Well, the the entrance was perfect. Um, (laughs) Brilliant. So. Yeah. We'll take it. So let's, Perfect. Let's I've just got that in quotation marks there. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've had a fair amount of discussion this morning around the Warriors and off the back mm. of the weekend as, as well. You called the game uh, alongside Tony Kemp on Saturday for SENZ. Where, where are the Warriors in your eyes, Sam? Oh, uh, Maddie, it's been a difficult 90 minutes to open the show this morning where that's all we talked about and uh, just hearing from fans who, you know, the keyword that sticks out, and a lot of them did say it, um, disillusioned. Because, you know, in the past, Warriors teams, you know, they, they could lose by 30 points one week, but then they come back the next week and they beat the Premiers, you know, or, that, or they'd beat the Premiership yeah. favourites. And um, it was that sort of unknown that excited us and made us want to watch it, whereas... At the moment, you go into every game expecting them to lose and just hoping that's not the case. Um, and with no clear, I guess, long-term plan, you know, the fact that we're happy to just let guys go out of contracts without any, I guess, backup or people coming in behind. The biggest thing we missed on the weekend was size in the pack. And you look at, you know, letting Mac Lodge go and not having Adam Fanua Blake. Um, I think, yeah, fans are just a little bit disillusioned with where we're heading, um, not just this year, but, you know, in 2023 and onwards. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting couple of years, obviously. We've we've had this discussion. I had a caller on my program, Sam, ring up and say, look, the Warriors shouldn't be in the NRL. They just shouldn't <laughs> be there. They're not delivering. And, and I went into defence because my, my defence was, look, form and, and, and wins and losses are cyclical in any sport. So it goes around, comes around, and, and you're in a, a hole at the moment. But you just cannot walk away from the rugby league market that is New Zealand. No, and I guess it's interesting, you know, that the, the thing with the NRL with no, I guess, promotion relegation is, yeah, all, all the sides are, are relatively safe. It would be interesting if there was, you know, one or two teams that dropped out every year, um, whether or not the Warriors would fall into that in 2022. But I think most people, both in New Zealand and across the ditch, would admit that if, if the Warriors got it right, if we ever got it right, we could, we could be a powerhouse. With the, with the talent that comes out of New Zealand, the talent around the Pacific Islands, and I think it, it might have been Gus Gould um, or potentially Brandy I heard on SEN a, a couple of weeks ago who said, you know, the Warriors when they first came into the NRL, were, it was under the, the excitement that they would tap into that market, tap into that Pacific Island market, the New Zealand player market, and become that power. And it just hasn't happened. We've lost our way. We've lost a bit of the DNA. Um, we, we sort of chase Aussie players now as opposed to getting guys from back here and we see guys that leave and become superstars at other clubs. Um, you know, But the reality is if, if we can somehow get it right along the way, and whether that's a clean out of coaches and CEOs and players, if we can get it all right, I, I do think you know the Warriors will win a premiership. When that day comes, Maddie, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm going to be alive. I hope I am. <laughs> I hope I am. <laughs> well, let's hope you are. Let's hope you yeah. are. Um, what about Sean Johnson? What's the discussion over there around his future at the club? Tony Kemp said on Sunday Crunch Time yesterday on, on this network that he won't see out the year. Mm. Yeah, I think for a while, 
Sean Johnson a very polarising figure. You've got fifty percent of fans who you know every time the Warriors lose, it's his fault, and then you've got the other fifty percent of fans who sort of stick up for them and say, you know what, just because we lose, it's not necessarily his fault, and he brings this to the game. Yes, he doesn't attack and run like he used to, but it's the experience, it's the game management, etc. But I actually think it's getting to a point, Matty, where he's almost indefensible at the moment. You know, not many people are sticking up for Sean because even with that experience we're not seeing it on the field. We're not seeing him take the young guys under his wing and show them how it's done. We're not seeing him dictate a game. I mentioned earlier on the show there was a moment where he sort of, in the second half he ran out to the right, did a wide pass to Dallin Wittenys Lesniak that went through his hand and into touch. And Dallin was sort of laughing as he got up and, and I imagine he was laughing sort of thinking, what are we doing? You know, what what are we trying to do here? And I think Sean is... is fairly weathering a lot of that and um, I don't know if you saw, if you saw this Matty but the conspiracy theories are flying someone posted a video on Twitter um, of Sean and Kieran Foran talking after the game and they're trying to lip read what Sean was saying and, and they, they think he's saying I'm about to retire and Kieran Foran going really? This year? Um, oh. So look read into it what you will and maybe you need a professional linguist to uh, to have a look at it, but I, I'm I'm half in Kempi's cap. I don't think Sean and I don't look. He's not probably going to get a contract anywhere else, is he? I don't think many no. clubs are going to want to pick him up. And if that's the case, I think he's just going to say, you know what, um, I'm going to call it time. I'd love to see some of those young guys get a shot. You know, we brought Dejan Arcy. Um, I'd love to see him in there. Um, we've got Volkman that we picked up from the Roosters. So why not throw those guys in as well? And at this stage, Matty, we, we don't have much to lose. Big fan of Dejan Arce. I, yeah. I called his um, match that he, I think it was his debut match, and he, he, he just looks like a, a young kid that wants to own the stage. So, you know, he's not afraid of, of the big stage that is the NRL. And that says to me that you've got all the talent in the world, that's one thing, but if you've got the desire to make sure that you're going to make it in there and, you, and you're not going to shy away from the fact that it's the hardest job you're going to do as a footballer, a rugby league footballer in the world, play you know week in, week out in the NRL. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. Hey, mate, we've been having a discussion this morning off the back of Rafael Nadal's win overnight at the French Open, and the word that comes to mind for me when I think of Rafa is relentless. This mm. bloke just never, ever stops. He's like the... Terminator. You know, put him Mate. down and it bang, up he gets again. Oh. So we've been talking about relentless athletes this morning and those kind of athletes that just never, ever give up. I've had some cracking names come through. Uh, Leighton Hewitt was a really good shout-out. I mean, yep. small in stature, but he just always was in the fight. Who would be top of mind, do you think, from a mm. Kiwi perspective of a relentless athlete? Gosh, that is a great question. Um I'm trying to think, maybe can I think of a, of a cricket perspective? Um, we've had a couple of toilers in our cricket ranks over the years that have always, you know, dug in when the going's got tough. I think a BJ Watling, um, you know, just it would always come into a, a New Zealand uh, batting lineup often when we had lost a bunch of wickets in a, in a row and we needed someone to steady our innings and he just grafted away. Neil Wagner, um, man, he just, he just digs in. And, and, you know, both with his bowling and mentally as well. Um, from a rugby point of view, ooh, I mean, Jonah, it, Jonah I mean, Jonah was, was just, um, yeah, he had just epitomised, you know, ruthlessness. Um, I'm, I, mean, Rich, I mean, Richie really is probably our, yes. uh, you know, he played that 2011 final with a broken foot. In, fa- in fact, he played most of that tournament with a broken foot. Um, much like Nadal, but instead he didn't get it anaesthetized. Sorry, so uh, he could probably feel it. Um, but uh, yeah, Richie, Richie, I reckon would be right up there for me. 
I remember, and I can't remember the year because it's just gone off the top of my head, but it was Richie and Dan's uh, last test match at Eden Park. 2015, yeah. The 2015. So I, I was there as part of the Channel 10 coverage from over here, and I remember sitting on the sidelines. That day was the day that the entire team came out and from head to toe, it was quite literally all black. <laughs> so black, black shoes, you know, black boots rather, everything was black. And I remember just thinking, I mean, you guys pummeled us that evening, uh, absolutely smashed them to smithereens. And I remember sitting on the sideline with Matt Burke, who's, of course, a, a former player, and Nathan yep. Sharp, a, a former Australian captain. And I just remember thinking, this is relentless. Like, the, this is boys versus men. And... For that night, with Dan and Richie there, but the entire team, it was just like this tsunami that would not stop nah. coming at the Australian team. Nah. It was a heck of a night. And that's and that's exactly what you know Richie and those guys brought to that team was that ruthless energy. Yeah. I, I feel like the All Blacks have lost a bit of that, and it you know hard to replicate. Obviously, he's a one in a generation type player. And it's funny you mentioned the black boots because there's a very uh, a hilarious story that I think Liam Messam tells of of when uh, him and a couple of teammates went out and got some uh, some coloured. Adidas boots for a test match and the look they got from Richie McCaw uh, when they wore those to training and they said they never wore them again since. <laughs> so the all black was definitely a Richie thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was It was one, I mean it was a, an absolute privilege to be there that night. I've, I've been there quite a few times for some very big occasions but that night was... That was a big though, night, yeah. You know, the, the, yeah, the Wallabies were smashed. I, I can tell you also that at the end of that our car that was parked across the road and down the uh, down the street was towed away because it didn't have the right sticker. So <laughs> <laughs> not only that makes it memorable. Right, yeah, the entire commentary team looking for the car, and, <laughs> and there we were stuck on the side of the road. I said the the one thing that I did say, and you'd obviously know the you know the name Gordon Bray, one yeah. of the most famous rugby union commentators of all time, loveliest man. I had mm. Gordy with me. There was Nathan Sharp, who's six foot eight or something. Berkey's obviously Matty Burke, you know, one of the most well known Wallabies. <laughs> And I said, boys, the first thing we're doing is getting rid of these green and gold ties that we're wearing. We don't want to stand out anymore no. while we're stuck on the side of no. the street. Good on you, mate. We better go. Yep. Uh, great to chat with you. And I'll, I'll send that email to the bosses. Thank you, it's my perfect. friend. Absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Matty. There you go. Matty White uh, across the ditch for SCN. Yeah. Oh, your most relentless uh, athlete. What comes to mind? Your most relentless, um, given Rafa's um, effort at Roland Garros, the French Open, battling with uh, a broken foot. Well, I don't know if it's broken, but he's got this foot issue, doesn't he? And he's just pumped himself full of um, full of uh, pain meds and um, what uh, I've lost it. Um, anesthesia. Anes- What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. I can't. Anesthetic. Say. Anesthetic. 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 <laughs> Gee, I was thinking. I was thinking amnesia. I mean, he probably goes a bit amnesiac when he takes the drugs, uh, but it helps his foot. Uh, Rafa with his 14th uh, Roland Garros title. Um, we're 20 minutes past one here. We're going to take a short break. We're also going to play What Happens Next very shortly, and we're going to um, catch up with Ben Stokes and Daryl Mitchell. We'll hear some uh, audio from them out of uh, England following uh, England's win over the Black Caps this morning. Uh, we'll be back after this. Fantastic. I'd go along to that for sure. Um, and Jared's texting saying, Michael Jordan, after one, uh, watching The Last Dance, I have massive respect for him. That's when we were talking about relentless athletes. Um, yeah, I, I'm the same, Jared, after watching um, the doco and uh, seeing things like the flu game and, and the pain he was playing through um, throughout his career. Remarkable. Um, remarkable. Another one that um, I'll throw at you, and uh, a lot of you know that I'm a massive ice hockey fan. 
It may not resonate, but uh, my favourite team, the Boston Bruins, are Patrice Bergeron, who um, when the Bruins were in the 2017, uh, 2019 Stanley Cup Finals. Um, Patrice Bergeron was our assistant captain. He's now our captain. Um, he played the whole final series with a ruptured lung, a broken, a broken rib, a ruptured lung, and like something else, like a cracked sternum or something. And he played the whole um, the whole series on all of that. And then he had to get major off-season surgery to get himself right. I mean, the, that is just, just personifies someone battling for their team, right? Um, there's also another um, incident back in, I think, 2013 when we were playing in the finals and one of our guys got hit in the leg by a slap shot. So that's, you know, 100 plus miles an hour, thick bit of rubber straight into his leg and it cracked his leg and he stayed out for... Um, two minutes out on the ice trying to skate around to stop them scoring and he had snapped, completely snapped his leg basically with the puck um, and he stayed out there battling away. Would you say that ice hockey players are the toughest? Oh they're tough yeah. man, yeah. they're really tough Like they're, and I know like you've got a lot of equipment on, Like I've, I play myself here in Auckland you've got a lot of equipment on and that cushions a lot of the blows but man is your body sore the next day your body is sore. So fascinating because, like, when I think of like skating on ice, you know, I, I think that you have to be quite um, graceful, you know, like a swan. Well, actually, a lot of the um, NHL players, a lot of the pro hockey players, um, did figure skating when they were younger because that is a lot more like graceful and they learn how to use their edges and do twists and turns and everything and then they go play hockey uh, but it is quite funny because when you learn how to skate you, you know it can take you a year or two to get good at skating and then as soon as you put the gear on and you have to go start chasing a puck it's like you're like a fresh a newly born deer you just, like your legs just you a don't gazelle. know what to do yeah a freshly yeah. born gazelle because um, yeah you just it's just all foreign to you but um it's so much fun. It's very addictive. I don't know if you've ever been snowboarding or skiing, but it's it's like a similar, you just want to get back out there. Yeah, I love it, but it's not, uh, I can't really find any friends that have any money to go skiing or snowboarding. That's oh, thing. you come with us, Joey. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you can shout. Um, we're going to play What Happens Next, are we? We are indeed. There we go. What Happens Next. All right, I'm going to stump you, mate. You think you're going to trip me up. Okay, so um, small clip of audio. Joey's going to play it. Um, $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Um, if you can text through the correct answer um, for what happens next. Joey. We won Olympic gold with an ace. How about one more here? Any point will do. Okay, Olympic point with an ace. Just play it again for me. We won Olympic gold with an ace. How about one more here? Ooh. Any point will do. Olympic point with ace. Okay, I'll mull it over. Um, text through double eight double three if you know. You get a $50 TB bonus bet uh, if you're correct in your first three. We'll play the second part out um, after some headlines, eh, Joey? You're going to hit us with some, uh, some news? Sorry, a bit loud. It blew my ears off. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's, it's, it was a busy night of sport, actually. We had uh, Wimbledon... We had obviously the cricket ending. Do you, and keep, do you keep calling it Wimbledon? <laughs> I do keep calling it Wimbledon. Yeah, Wimbledon, and we didn't have Wimbledon. We had the uh, Roland Garros. Oh, we had Roland. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, Gee, I, there's a reason why Johnny and uh, Johnny and Aroha read the news, uh, <laughs> Joey. Look, I'm, I'm not used to the four-hour shows, mate. It's a bit long. Sure, yeah, we're getting to you. We're getting to you. Uh, but the all whites went down. Usually home and in bed at this point, aren't you? Oh yeah, like I sleep a couple hours in the afternoon usually. Off Ricky. The white, all white, sorry, the all whites, they lost 1-0 to uh, Peru mm-hmm. and Spain. 
Uh, Ollie White, unfortunately, he was playing great, and uh, he he is the favourite. If if we go into the World Cup, um, he's the favourite to keep for us. But he it was a bad touch that um, opened the door for Peru. But I was really impressed with our boys. Actually, um, yep. we we didn't have mo- we didn't have a lot of position, but when we did, we were very aggressive, and we had two shots on target against. Uh, Peru only had one, so ah. overall, I think you know, like there's a lot of ta- positive take from the match, um, and we can always uh, sub Oli out, out if we need to be. Uh, NBA, yeah, what's going on in the NBA, mate? It's half time. It's okay. uh, fifty-two to the Warriors to fifty to the Celtics. Damn, they've they've, they've leapfrogged us. Yes, uh, and there's one more story, but I've forgotten it. That's <laughs> what's taking news to Joey. <laughs> oh my gosh, Joey. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, the Black Ferns are. Um, Playing today at 2.45 against Australia. Wayne Smith's first game in charge. I'm sure the run home will keep you updated throughout, um, as well as the basketball. Um, the next game, the next test uh, between England and New Zealand starts on Friday. Friday evening New Zealand time. Um, and that'll be live here on SCNZ. Oh, so. Sam. Sorry, I remembered the last story. Brilliant. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Ethan Blag- Blackadder. Yes. He's confirmed out for the rest of the Super Rugby season. Yes, yes, he is. Yes. Okay. Um, so there you go. That's a good boost for the Chiefs. Come on, you Chiefs. Um, what happens next? Um, just play the uh, play the first part for me again. We want to link yeah, okay. with an ace. How about one more here? Any point will do. Any point will do. Um, well, here's the thing, Joey. I have a suspicion. Well, the most obvious answer is Rafa on Adele, given that he won this morning. It's him winning gold in, I think it was... Uh, 2012? No, 2008. Might have been Beijing. Oh. Rafa winning. But then part of me says that you just want to screw me over. And so you thought I would have said that and you've gone for something else. Like, it's definitely an Olympic match by the sounds. Just play it again for me. He won Olympic gold with an ace. How about one more here? Okay, he won Olympic gold with an ace. So he's already won Any an Olympic gold. Do. Well, Rafa did win gold in 08. So is it Rafa? Can you give me a hint? Is it Rafa? It is not Rafa. Ah, okay. So he won Olympic gold with an ace. Who else won? I know Andy Murray won an Olympic gold. Not Andy Murray? Maybe it is Andy. <laughs> you know, Joey doesn't speak. You know, you're on the right track. I don't know, honestly, Joey. I reckon it's Andy Murray. I'll go Andy Murray, given that he's won, won Olympic gold. I'll go Andy Murray at Wimbledon. Oh, Sam. He won Olympic gold with an ace. How about one more here? Any point will do. The waiting is over. Six four seven five six four. Andy Murray is the Wimbledon champion. There you go. Oh, I pieced it together, Joey. Yeah, I know. Oh, I, just, I pieced it together. I'm just not going. Like, I can just give it away on my face, you know? <laughs> you like, did. As soon as I seen Andy Murray and I just saw your face drop, I was like, okay, it's Andy Murray, and he won Olympic gold, and I've probably gone for something big, so Wimbledon. Why'd you pick that, though, Joey? What, what about I, I don't it? know what it is, but for some reason yesterday I just felt like watching it. Like I, You rewatched the whole re- five-hour match, did you? <laughs> no, I just rewatched the final game. It was actually um, a really impressive... Was it Murray Federer? Or no, Murray Djokovic. Murray Djokovic. Yeah, that's right. And he... Um, he beat him in straight sets. That's right, yeah. And but, it was crazy because Murray had – I don't know. I'm just actually going to look it up here because I know he made a bunch of Wimbledon 
finals, didn't he? Uh, just getting it up. Um, oh, it's not on here. Oh, there we go. Uh, Wimbledon. Um, uh, so he won that in 2013. Was that in 2013? Yeah, 2013. Yeah. He won but again he had in 2016, yeah. But he made a bunch of, maybe not finals, but certainly semifinals. It was almost his bogey tournament in a way. And he was a, he's from the UK, so people always thought he should win it. Um, but... Yeah, yeah. I think he won the US Open in 2012, leading Correct. into that. So yep. people were like, "This is his time," you know. Like, if if we're ever going to win, if a, from anyone from the UK is going to win it anytime soon, it's going to be now. That's right. I've just had a look up. So semi final in 2009, Wimbledon. Semi final 2010. Semi final 2011. Final 2012. Winner 2013. So he literally had five years where he was right in that last uh, that sort of last four. Um, yeah, nice, Joey. Well done. I'm not sure if anyone uh, takes it through correctly, but we'll have a look. Um, in the meantime, um, we'll take a very short break. When we come back, we might hear um, some audio from Ben Stokes and Daryl Mitchell before ca- catching up with uh, the Run Home crew. We'll be back after this. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Welcome back in 20 minutes away from 2 o'clock before the run home with Mitchum and I. We'll get them in shortly to chat about what's coming up on their show. Um, just before we do, though, um, Ben Stokes, uh, he caught up with the SENZ commentary team uh, following their win against New Zealand uh, this morning. Here's what he had to say. Darren Mitchell, thanks for coming and having a chat with Well, Ben, thanks for joining SENZ. How do you reflect on that first game as captain, first game with an England win? Yeah, uh, oh, it's great to win. Um, fantastic test match to be a part of again it always is against New Zealand especially at Lords um, I think throughout the whole four, whole four days the way that everybody's operated you know with the ball and with the bat it's exactly what me and Brendan have been speaking about uh, the way that we want to go about it it's always taking the, the positive option and um, you know the reason we bowled them out for 130 in the first innings is because you know that's all we were looking to do was to take wickets um, yes we were obviously disappointed not to get more runs in the first innings but Everybody's looking to score runs rather than just survive, um, which you know me and Brendan were absolutely happy with. And then you know the way that Brodie and Jimmy came out yesterday morning and got us really back into that game when uh, could have looked a lot different. But 49 for six was was brilliant. And then you know obviously chasing down 270, you know it obviously looks easy winning by five wickets, but you know the the pressure of a fourth innings and chasing a total like that on a wicket like this was always going to be tough. And um, looks like we've cruised it but you know it's a, it's a really really good run chase and uh, I'm just really very proud of the way that everybody's operated this week How's Brendan McCullum been since arriving how's your relationship with him uh, yeah he's been very very chilled you know every time he spoke to the media it's pretty much exactly the same up there towards us um, always looking to do things you know like we were last night we were going to send Brody in to go out and have us pretty much a slog because if he got a quick 30 or 40 then the game was done you know that's the type of outside of the box thinking that you know, made New Zealand progress so well under him. Um, so I think that's a real, you know, message to the changing room as well about, you know, how he sort of can implement his, I don't know, his energies and his way of thinking about cricket into us. Um, you know, obviously we didn't need it because folks and Ruti played brilliantly there to get us over the line. But just that, you know, quick reaction and thought process of Brendan saying we're going to send Brody in to go and have a dip is just, you know, something that, I don't know, we're probably not used to up in that dressing room and, you know, probably English cricket fans in general aren't really used to seeing an England team operate. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to uh, work in with them in the future. Enjoying being captain? Uh, yeah, I mean, God, after that 36 for four in the first, the first uh, session of day one, I said to 
Paul Collingwood, I said it's a great start, but the only unfortunate thing is it's only downhill from here. So, um, no, nah, but I've absolutely loved it. It's been a great week. Um, yeah, and it's great to get the win. There you go, Ben Stokes, uh, England captain, talking with the SCNZ crew this morning following their five-wicket win over the uh, Black Caps. And uh, in studio now, uh, Mitch McLennigan, who's uh, taking us through on the uh, on the run home this evening. Mitch, uh, you stay up uh, late last night, early this morning? Oh, it was a pretty early night, wasn't it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Quick smart. Uh, a few true. people out there absolutely stoked that they got their refunds uh, <laughs> for less than 15 overs bold. So, hey, oh, look, uh, it was a uh, kind of... Is one of those four day tests, wasn't it? Um, mm. There was a lot of excitement though. Yeah. Oh, I definitely enjoyed it. What um, what do you reckon sort of changed for us in that second innings? You know, because the first innings are just wickets galore mm. for both teams. And what do we sort of do or not do in that second innings? Do you reckon? Oh, the sun came out. <laughs> 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 Makes a massive difference at Lords. Yeah, it actually yeah. genuinely does. Yeah, I think they better with patience. Mm. Um, they definitely did uh, make good decisions. Um, mm. And just two guys who are real gritty, mm. Daryl Mitchell and and um, Tom Blundell. So mm. uh, real grit shown. I was gutted. Uh, Tommy didn't get to his yeah, uh, I know. to his hundred mate. That um, was heartbreaking. But I, I guess, uh, you know, was never going to go past Baz's scores at Lords, was he? You know, it's just fate <laughs> now that no, he's the England's uh, coach. No, you never let that happen. Mate, are you a, um, you're an NBA fan, aren't you? I'm getting into it, mate. I'm, yeah, I've been more of a NFL fan, but um, I'm getting into it this year. Definitely been with the job here, but, you know, most people wouldn't have picked that Boston was going to go up their first game right. No, but um, look. Big Boston fan. <laughs> Boston everything. Boston Bruins, Boston That's Celtics. Um, pretty fizzed. Yeah, down by 10, though, at the moment. Um, seven and a half minutes to play in the third. Um, mate, you've, you've worn your colours today as well. <laughs> Just to lucky, get on Manoa. Just to get on Manoa. Lucky, lucky win on yeah, uh, Saturday. <laughs> yeah, we've got the, got the old manly beanie on um, straight from the team, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. We're outside? Yeah, it could have been. Uh, nah, it's not oh. signed. It could, you know, it could have been Marty Tapaus. Who knows? Really? Yeah, because he's got a relatively big dome, and, and so so is mine. <laughs> uh, so, mate, um, no, we oh, are. You're look, stoked, though. Massive win oh, for mate, you, boys. Massive yeah. win, massive yeah. win. And we'll talk all things rugby league, as you do, Luke. when, when uh, Manoa and I are in the chair. Uh, we've got Ross Carl on today as well. Talk a bit of super rugby. Obviously, the pointy end now. A couple of good games on the weekend. Yeah. Surprising uh, wins as well. Uh, the Brumbies obviously getting up. We'll, we'll yep. dissect that as well. Um, and we've got... We've got the senior editor of the Aussie NBA, so hopefully he'll come wow. on and give us a, nice. uh, a good rundown of this once it's over. Yeah, and your Boston to. side, hopefully, have My got up. Come, yeah, them. no, they've come back in that first Mate, game. They have, they have. <laughs> I bet them. I bet them. Go on a run, Jason. Yeah, Tate, just heat up and oh, too there right, you go. too yeah, right. You um, you would have played a bit of two K though, wouldn't you? On the old yeah, loved a bit of two K, bit of two K, yeah. yeah. You know what it's like. You heat up a little bit, all of a sudden the bar goes green, and then uh, you know, sounds like it sounds like you play a lot more than me. A lot more than me. It's used to when you didn't have to pay to win. Um, Yeah, but good to be a Manly fan today, mate, because for the first 90 minutes of this show, we just were trying to give some therapy to... Oh, the Warriors boys. Oh, yeah. They're going to love having me on for the oh, next three hours. I know, mate. Because it is like, I mean, I don't know if you've experienced it as a Manly fan throughout the years. I mean, you guys made a bunch of grand finals in your heyday. Um, but it's like, where where do you go? You know, like you've, the mm. season is almost done for the Warriors. Yeah. Um, and everyone, you know, these coaches, players, CEOs, people want different people gone. It's like, yep. where, do you, where do you start and, you know, where does it finish? It's um, 
it's pretty tough to be a fan, you know. I reckon we just hand over the selection roles to our SCNZ <laughs> listeners. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> Can't do any worse, That's can true. we? That's true. Can um, we? Cool, man. And the uh, Black Ferns playing this afternoon as well, 245. I'm sure you guys will, uh, you know, give us updates throughout that. Yeah, we'll first, fi- uh, fire that up as well. The beauty of having all these screens in here, yeah, man. It's, it's going to be outstanding. What a great afternoon for sport. Wayne uh, Wayne Smith's first game in charge. Um, mm. Maybe just do a little bit of commentary off the, off the TV if you, you oh, know, yes. need a full five <laughs> minutes. Why, <laughs> why not? Look, I'm a be woeful, but absolutely, we can give it a crack. <laughs> nice, pretty good. I know you'll be calling in for Drive to Survive as well. Oh, I will later be, mate. On. Yes. What are we yeah. at? Uh, is it jackpot? Oh, are we still at 50? Geez, or I, we... I, I, I actually don't know. Really? So, I just wait for it to build, mate. When it gets to 500, that's when I'm going to tune in and uh, dial in. And, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it all. Okay, yeah, sweet. You just wait. Silent well, Joey's assassin. just said on the on the mic that he's going to top it up, to, so it is 500. Oh, yeah, Joey. Is that your yeah, own personal money? It's not me, it? guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> time and a half today. I'll, I'll, I'll give the extra money oh, to you guys. Oh, you get time and a half? I do, See, yeah. I'm only learning the ropes, so I don't even oh, know mate, this stuff. With the mistakes Joey's made today, he should be giving you a whole salary to the uh, to the run home this oh, afternoon. Oh, bless Joey. <laughs> What's going on, mate? I'm just, I should be in bed right now, mate. Oh, he yeah, looks like he comes straight from town. His clock's all over the place. He's usually having an afternoon nap right now, not not producing a four-hour show. And the extra hour's killing him. It's oh. absolutely killing him. It is, yeah. Bricky can only do three hours. We're, we're premium McDonald's. We can't do four. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, uh, Mitch and Manaya are coming at you from two until six. The run home. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back uh, after a break. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.